in this city. Under cover of darkness, someone is stalking Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor? Yes. Sarah Connor, 35, brutally shot to death in her home. You're dead, honey. What's this? Dead girl, too. Sarah Louise Connor. Is this right? Of course, we'll have more on this late-breaking story as it comes in. She doesn't know why, but it's her he's after. Did you reach the next girl yet? No, I keep getting an answer machine. Pick up if you're there. I'm really scared. I think that there's somebody after me. And no one can help her, except for one man. I'm Reese. It's a sign to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. This isn't true. How could that man just get up after you did? It's not a man. Machine. Terminator. Underneath it's a hyperalloy combat chest. Microprocessor controlled. Fully armored. Very tough. But outside it's living human tissue. They cannot make things like that yet. Not yet. Not for about 40 years. Are you saying it's from the future? They came to fight for the one woman who could save their future. And this uh, computer thinks it can win by uh, killing the mother of its enemy. One came to protect her. I came across time for you, Sarah. The other to kill her. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Inhuman. Relentless. Unstoppable. He has only one purpose. Murder. Can you stop it? I don't know. And now, Sarah Connor's world has become a battlefield. With her at ground zero, and the Terminator closing in. An adventure unlike anything you've ever seen before. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. their illogic and foolish emotions constant irritant then transfer out freak belong in the circus right next to the dog-faced boy i have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit. <laughs> Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? 
and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner. He's an asshole. And Chris Honeywell. Boy, is he strange. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. Yes. <laughs> We told you we'd be back, and we're back with the Terminator episode. Something we've been talking about for a little while. Um, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my co-host, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good, yeah. the That's human my Terminator music the, impression there. Yeah, the human, <laughs> uh, we'll call you Scott Gardner, the human underscore. <laughs> That's how Scott walks through life. Huh? I guess. Scott walks when 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 Scott's working. Oh, he walks into work and he kicks open the door and that Terminator music is playing underneath. That's just before I blow everybody down with the minigun. Yeah, you see like the big fat secretary's like bent over and you see little red like vision with things fat ass, useless, slacker. You know, everybody as he passes by everybody. And and uh, <laughs> if you notice the laughing in the background, we have a special guest, and the guest who actually was sort of the catalyst for this episode, who it's his fault. Blame him. Challenged us in our hundredth episode to do a Terminator episode, so we challenged him to bring us in. And and I I, I just love saying this name because it sounds like a classic like baseball game coming up to plate. It's Leroy Ziggo Rivera. I, then, I wanted to do the Scott Gardner thing with it, dun 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 dun, dun but he took it from me, so... Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm uh, going to have to go back in time, terminate him so I can do it, but then that's going to suck because there will be no two true freaks, so... <laughs> I'm stuck with a dilemma here. <laughs> Unless, of course, I am him as a Team 1000 doing that as right. him, and it's actually me, but then that'll be weird because who would want to be me? Thanks for having me on, guys. Hello, all you uh, Two True Freaks listeners. Oh, my head hurts already. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we haven't even started talking about it, and the and the uh, time distortion is already kicking in. The <laughs> we already have several paradoxes occurring at the same time on Two True Freaks, just like every week. <laughs> so, so where man, do we want to? Yeah, start man, what our... a subject to tackle you know i oh, think yeah. we should start right at the beginning at, at terminator now when you say the beginning do you mean 2029 or 1984 we'll say Ooh. 1984 the, the... uh two years before i was born wow oh serious oh my god you just made me feel ancient dude. <laughs> i have a bad <laughs> habit of doing that on everyone else's podcast i'm sorry <laughs> yeah i was born in 86 that's when we graduated oh, Oh, yeah, wow. High school, yeah. Is. <laughs> All right, well, uh, where did you first see uh, Terminator, Chris? Did you see it in the theater? I saw it in the theater, yeah, because of Siskel and Ebert sent me going right to that. And because you and I, I don't know if we've ever discussed this on the show. I might have mentioned it, like, in passing. But you and I used to come up with ideas for movies, and we came up with this idea of, and we never really did anything with it like we did with our Star Wars ideas, but it was an assassin from the future. And I remember mm-hmm. we, like, had a scene 
with a bum in a garbage, you know, near a dumpster, and the guy sort of it, his appearance in the in the present time was very much like the Terminator. You know, there was a flash of light inside a dumpster, and he emerges out. I don't know if he kills the bum or you know menaces him or something, but there were there were a lot of similarities to it so I was like wow that's cool that was like an idea Scott and I came up with and yeah. uh, of course there's no way James Cameron could have stolen that from us because <laughs> Carthage New York but um um so yeah I and Siska and I remember Siskel and Ebert gave it one those reviews where they would both recommend it but they would give a strong warning that this is not you know this is not a happy movie. This is a very intense movie. So I so I was pumped to see it and even and, and it went beyond my expectations when I saw it in the theater. It was a you know, I mean, now we're used to that super pumped up action, but boy, that was a really intense movie in 1984 when it came out. Oh yeah. It just it still is. I mean, it never stops. It set the precedent and sort of the the pattern and format for all the Terminator movies after it, more or less. Where did you see it at? I saw it um the Cineplex in 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 Watertown. I don't think I saw it in the um Salmon Run Mall. I think I saw it in the It wasn't even built yet, was it? I don't no. think that was even built. I think I saw it in the um in the you know, the old Cineplex where we would see everything, right. you know, the two theater Right, duplex in in Watertown behind Phase. You yeah. guys, you guys are really lucky. I would seriously give anything to watch these movies in the big screen. I well, that's that's uh, you know came out. That's just you know that's just the effect of of age because you know if you're, <laughs> and and when you're when you're forty years old you'd be able to talk to twenty year olds and go, well you know <laughs> I saw this band you know in this this time so if you go like. Right now, at, at your age, if and you're you're in New York City, right? Or, or yeah, near, yeah, yeah, if, New York City. Yeah, at your age, if you just go out and start going to a bar every night and seeing whatever band's playing at the bar and just write it down in a notebook, and when when you're 45 years old, you'll be able to look at your kids and say, "I saw them when they played in a bar, and they <laughs> sucked." <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was going more along the lines where uh. This little where someone will come to me. I saw Spider-Man when I was three years old in the movie theater. I'm like, really? I, I was a I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Those days are coming, dude. It'll it'll happen to you. Oh oh oh! Hey, I'm already feeling it right now. When someone says that the 1990, when someone told me 1990 was like 20 years ago, I'm like, damn. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast the other day, and here we are tangenting already. But I was listening to a podcast <laughs> the other day, and the guys were all telling their origin stories, you know, of how they got into comics. And there was not a one of them that went back, you know, beyond like the, the early nineties and Jesus, it made me feel ancient. You know, they were all naming books that were like, wow, you know, really, that was your, that was your gateway into comics. You know, that, that was only a few years ago and that book sucked, you know? And and when we, and when we were kids, it was the, people from the hippie age you know from the beatles time who were like you guys i was you know i remember when the beatles came on ed sullivan on tv and we're like yeah that must have been awesome old timer (laughs) well i'm gonna i'm gonna give you my uh oh i'm sorry go ahead oh no i was just gonna make a quick joke i remember when porn was in paper on the internets (laughs) sorry 
We could actually hide it under the porch. Yeah. Well, that, I'm going to give you my old timer moment for this movie because uh, I actually have really distinct memories of going to see the Terminator. Now, I, I was doing some research just before we started recording, trying to get you know some dates down and everything. And according to what I found, it said that Terminator came out in October of 1984. So I'm thinking that movie must have been in the theater for quite a while. Because I know that I went to see the Terminator in the little theater that was in um, Fulton, New York, where, where my cousin Michelle lived. Because every um, summer, you know, when we were on our summer break from school, I'd go and I'd spend about a week, maybe two with my cousin and, and her mom, my aunt. And I know that Michelle and I went to see the Terminator together. And it, it was so weird. Cause you know, this movie's rated R and we went, you know, just the two of us, her mom didn't go or anything, you know, and this, this was back in the days where you could actually feel safe, just letting your kids, you know, walk across town to go to the theater, which is what we did. You know, we walked from the apartments where, where they lived and we walked across town and through the park and everything. Right. And we went this to, was the days the, before the, the roving rape gangs. Yeah, exactly. And we went, and here I was only 16, and she's, what, three years younger than us, I think? I think, at least three years younger. So she was like 13, 12 or 13 years old. And here we were going to see this rated R movie with all this, you know, blood and guts and swearing and tits and everything else in it. But but we, somehow or other, we got in and we, we were able to see it. But knowing that that was in the summer months that means that movie had to be in that theater for quite a while if it came out october of the previous year so i'm thinking i probably saw it in well, like the the summer of 85 actually i'll put it this way a lot of times with that movie i mean that was really that was really james cameron's first movie you know but if right. you want to you can't re- you know not counting the piranha sequel you know, that was the first one he got to write and direct. It was his baby. And right. it was a low-budget indie movie. He sold and, the script for $1 and, you know, in order to direct it. <laughs> right. No, I'm and, just, I'm, yeah. And, and it probably it came out in October, and he probably they probably only had enough money or put enough money towards it to make a few prints of it. So it probably just sort of made oh, its way around see. with a few prints. And then once Siskel and Ebert got a hold... And that was back in the days when if Siskel and Ebert... You know, first that's national prominence. It was the only real movie review anything you could see, and they, you know, they were all up and down it about how great it was. And after that, it probably got a lot more prints made and went into a like more full release. I would bet. Well, the only thing I can remember, the only thing I remember knowing about the movie going in, and and the reason that I wanted to see it. And I don't know if it was Siskel and Ebert or not, but I remember on TV seeing this short little thing about it. And it, it wasn't a trailer. Right. It, it had to be something like Siskel and Ebert or, or something, you know, in that vein that showed you like an actual clip from the movie. And the only thing I can of Reese running down alley trying to get away and Arnold's chasing them. And then you get the perspective that's from his point of view. So you had the red screen with the targeting reticle moving all around and then all that digital readout. And the first thing that clicked in my mind and the, and the association my mind made was the $6 million man. Cause that was kind of the oh, way God. 
when you would see through the six million dollar man's eye you know he had that reticle and all that too so that's what i thought and and then whatever i was was watching or whatever i heard said something about a cyborg from the future well you know the the six million dollar man the original novel was called cyborg so i went into it thinking that this was going to have some sort of not a connection to the six million dollar man but it was going to be something similar it was going to be a robotic guy doing something so that's that's all i knew about it going in and then of course you know it, it is what it is and it just blew me away but the thing that the impression that it made on both michelle and i that night walking away the, the thing that we we talked about for years afterwards was i liked the fact that every time you thought the movie was over every time you thought that's it they finally did it they they stopped it it would just fucking get right back up yeah, yeah. you know and it does that three or four times you know they blow it up and they you know, then they blow it up again and they blow its legs off. And then, you know, all these different things that they go through. And every every time you think, wow, that was intense. Boom. It would, it, you know, right back at her again, you know, still coming, still coming. And that was the great thing about it. And, you know, we, we walked away from that movie and, and walked home that night just loving that movie. And then every, you know, every time I would go there to their house, you know, every subsequent summer, we would just rent it. You know, her mom would go rent it on uh, VHS. And, you know, how many kids at, you know, 15, 16 years old, are, you know, is their aunt going to go rent them an R-rated movie with, you know, all this stuff, you know, with but the But when swearing, it was sci-fi and stuff, you could get yeah. away with it. If it was sci-fi, they'd go, ah, oh, it's for kiddies anyway, you know. It- it's the only thing I can ever remember my aunt renting that she knew damn well that it had like tits in it, but she rented <laughs> for us anyway just because it was a great movie, you know. It was awesome. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I just remember f- feeling that it had upped the ante for action movies, and I oh, remember, yes. and it was probably Siskel and Ebert. I just remember a review, and they were like, "Finally, Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a movie where he's playing." the perfect character for Arnold Schwarzenegger, a robot, because he always gives these robotic performances. And finally now, like, yeah, the quirks of his voice and his accent can now sound like a robot and, and he can be blank and, and dull and, and all physical action. And they're like, it was perfect casting. Cause really, as far as Schwarzenegger goes, I mean, Scott and I, I mean, we'd, I remember Scott and I actually saw Conan the Barbarian on HBO together with his dad. Right. And it was one of those late night things where mom was in bed and dad's like, all right, we'll let him watch Conan the Barbarian. And we were mostly just cracking up all through that because his dad was doing a running commentary through the whole thing. And there was like fun nudity and violence and stuff. And his dad was just commenting all the way through it. But, you know, I don't think we really took Schwarzenegger seriously as an actor no. up till that point. No. Well, you know, I, I'll go so far as to say that I, I don't even know that I necessarily associated Arnold Schwarzenegger with the Terminator going in right. or even even walking away from it. Because to me, you know, granted, I was proven wrong. He became a star out of that movie. But walking away from that, the initial viewing that night, I still didn't get the feeling that he was the star, that the movie was about him. You know, if anything, I really centered on uh, Kyle. 
Michael Bain, yeah, you know right. that, that yeah. he was yeah. the star of the movie, even though you know he dies. By the way, this is a spoiler-filled episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember that. See, the thing is, I started with Terminator Two. Here's my experience. I started with the second one. Um. But then when I saw the first one, I saw the first one shortly after I saw part two. And I guess my parents kind of noticed that I like part two so much. They were like, well, he might as well watch part one. And mind you, I was 19. I was 1991. I was. I was five years old. So I was like, five or six years old. yeah, watching this movie. Now, Terminator 2 was awesome for me at five years old. I was like, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And to this day, I'm, I mean, I know I'm jumping ahead, but to this day, T2 is still my favorite movie, but I guess we'll get more into that when we get to part two. So obviously in Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is a good guy. I'm watching T1 and I'm like, wait, you know, I'm watching T1 and then I'm, you know, I'm a little kid and I'm with my dad and we're watching. I'm like, oh, look, 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 you know, it's, it's the good guy. My dad's like, no, he's bad. No, he's good. And then I see him killing people. I'm like, what is this movie? What's going on? You know, because I was so confused, you know, after watching the second one for the first time. Everything is upside down. But then, <laughs> wow, that's like the opposite. You got the opposite experience of most people. That's yeah, that's crazy. I, I got the opposite experience. I saw part two first and then part one. However, I, I, I don't know why. I guess at a young age, I, I was able to piece, put the pieces together, though. I was able to... I mean, after watching them little by little, because I still saw two more than one, I'm watching and I'm like, even though he's bad, I like this movie still. Even though John Connor isn't in it, I like it. When they mention John Connor, it's like, okay. And then I guess at, at a young age, I don't know, I, I kind of, I feel like I understood it at a young age where I was like, okay, he is the guy who John was talking about in the second movie, why his mom was crying. I don't know why. I just remembered that when I was five. So I was like, okay. But then I got a little confused because when I was little, I thought that Kyle sent the Terminators back in time. You know, like I didn't know it was a future John. Again, I was five years old. I thought that I thought when I saw T2 going in the first time, I thought that his dad sent it to protect. Him, yeah, time, you know? time travel is a, a pretty uh, weighty subject to start thinking about it that age, well, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what? If I didn't start thinking about that age, I wouldn't be good with a lot of theories and all that stuff I am now. <gasps> But, um, but, but you know, overall, after watching it a whole bunch of times, I mean, that was my initial reaction. I was like, what the heck is going on? But then after watching it a few times and watching them all together, you appreciate the first one so much because James Cameron has laid so much groundwork and so much history within the first movie that you end up seeing repercussions of that throughout all the movies. Um, a specific special date, you know, I guess I'm going to start with the timelines then because I, I feel like they're a very important factor throughout the whole Terminator franchise. Uh, one of the most important dates is um, 2029. Right. The year 2029 in the Terminator franchise is when they discover time travel. Well, again, this is the first time around. It's when they discover time travel and when they figure out when, when Skynet's defense, defense system gets shut down. So when you were in the scene, I guess I'm jumping around the movie now. You guys don't mind, right? Oh, no, go ahead, uh, man. In the scene where, where they're interrogating Kyle Reese, he's pretty much telling uh, Dr. Silverman, you know, I came from 2029. He starts explaining how time travel works, that you can't, you can't send closure machines because only organic beings can come through. And so the reason why he got sent back from the future is because they won the war in the future. And it feels that the Terminator needs to come back in time and kill the leader's mother 
in order for the future war to win. So they pretty much lost already in terms of when they came back in time. And then they start Correct. making those jokes. They start making those jokes about, oh, well, how did the Terminator come? And he's like, well, dude, it's living tissue over metal skeleton, which is another thing that I like about this. Well, obviously, later on, you see more of this. They start giving the model numbers. So he explains the first Terminators were called the T-600s, which had rubber skin, which you see in Terminator Salvation. And then he starts explaining to Sarah, you know, these are the T-800s. They have real human skin because these are real skin and hair grown for cyborgs. That's why he looks like that. And, you know, we, we just get that breakdown here, which, which I thought was awesome. Right. Um, as, for Ar- I'm sorry, as for Arnold's performance, it's true. Like you guys are saying, I agree with you. He wasn't the star, but it was just so great for him because he is robotic. You know, he's he was, you know, he was just killing machine. He's a human action figure. Yeah. I, I think the best thing that happened to the Terminator in, in the pre-production phase was when Arnold turned down the role that was offered to him, which was the Reese role. Yeah. And said, this Terminator guy sounds a hell of a lot more fun to me. I want to be the Terminator. Much I mean, better I career if, move. Absolutely. Uh-huh. I mean, exactly. if, if that movie had been made with Arnold as the star, I, I don't think we'd be talking about it today. Oh, no. I just don't. You know? I, I, I totally agree with you there, yeah. And I just love how it's explaining this is a new robot from the future. It's brand new, according to Kyle Reese. This is like the first one in ever. Right. It's brand new. This is a new model, and it can't be stopped. And he was right. He's shooting at it. They're blowing. Like you guys, you you guys already went through these points, and you're there, and you're you're hooked. I mean, me as a five year old, I'm here watching him kill people. Like this is fucking cool, you know. And uh, and it's insane. Uh, but my favorite line, and then you know, you get those classic lines like "I'll be back" and all that stuff. But it's just insane. It's it it was it was really cool, and well, it, that, it was that, so. That was before people wrote those lines to be there. Right, you know, as a sort of touch point or a catchphrase or something, he just wrote them because it was funny with it. So it works, and so now it works so much better than all the people who try to like put a catchphrase in. It sort of invented that, you know. It it, a lot of people saw the Terminator and were like, "I'll be back." Okay, we need an "I'll be back," you know. And by by Evil Dead, you know, Sam Raimi was making fun of that by giving Ash eight million catchphrases. Right. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, no, the thing about the uh, Terminator now is if, if you watch it now, it's like, so it's a lot of it has become cliched because it's been copied so much and, mm-hmm. and oh, copied I was just, by itself. You yeah, know, I, I, I was franchise. just going to say, yeah, uh, just real quick, I'm, I'm so sorry uh, to just go back. One quick thing I wanted to say it was just the creepiest moment for me was at the end when he became his final robot form. When you see yes. his true form underneath, I, yeah. that's when I was literally scared. Because throughout the whole movie, I'm like, okay, okay. And then when I see that, I'm like, holy crap. This is scary. I think this is the part of the show where we have to uh, disclaim that, uh, you know, Two True Freaks does not endorse screening the Terminator for five-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> although, although, I will say this, it's a, it's a great, it, it's falling into this theory I'm I'm formulating about science fiction that, you know, like being ex- being exposed to the Terminator, which you know, <clears throat> granted is a is you know a bloody action picture or whatever, but it has those ideas of time travel and and 
all, all these really interesting things which you just said have influenced your life since then. Right. So, yeah, yeah you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I saw a lot of quote-unquote traumatic stuff when I was a kid. You know, I, I saw – I think every kid does. You see some movie yeah. that's really scary or something. But I think those have a – like sometimes have a really big positive effect. I, I remember seeing Night of the Living Dead when I was really young. You know, I mean that's <laughs> – You know, it's funny. Me too. <laughs> and and uh, boy, oh boy, you know, that had a – that had a, a, a big – that was a big shockeroo. You know, <laughs> I'll just I'll just throw this out there. Uh, uh, my parents just pretty much when they had a horror movie on, they didn't take me out the room. They left me there. So right. five, four, you know, five, I'll go as young as four, four, five, six years old. I'm watching Freddy Krueger, Friday Thirteen, you know. Wow. And yeah. So uh, again, that that just explains the type of person I am now. Well, you see, the thing is, when Scott and I were that age, they didn't have that. It wasn't as there was the intense stuff wasn't as intense. You know, right? So, like the stuff, like the intense stuff we saw was like, you know, old Hammer movies or something like that with like cheesy, you know, decapitations and stakings and stuff that, in them. That's a good point because you guys were talking about, you know, that this upped the ante for action and stuff like that. I would also say that although there are parts of the movie that have a very low budget feel to them I, I think that that's kind of a smokescreen in a lot of ways because i think one of the things that the first terminator did i think it upped the ante for um visual effects as far as uh physical effects well yeah and he- because the, the part in the movie where where the terminator has to fix itself still to this day to me looks damn good yeah, when, when he actually cuts his, his eye own out. eye out, yeah, that was awesome, opens man. his arm, and you can see. Because I remember in the theater seeing that, thinking that, wow, the Annie just got upped from Luke Skywalker's mechanical <laughs> right. hand at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. You know, all of a sudden, you're seeing this guy's <laughs> arm fully laid open. Yeah, it puts, and all the gears and things moving. I mean, it really looks real or at least it, it, I it's think super up the ante from the Steve Austin doll with the roll up skin you know <laughs> you, have to, you have to thank Stan Winston for that Stan Winston yeah, one yeah. of the best you know may he rest in peace one of the best most talented um, makeup artists and prosthetic artists out there yep. oh, hell yeah. you and, know and, and you know and the thing about it was this, this wasn't you know I think it was James Cameron's biggest budget he'd gotten a hold of to date but by no means was this a big budget movie so he had to work within a lot of constraints and and you know plot the story you know he had to use a good story good acting and good direction and editing and music it was a 6.5 and spend all his money on effects in the places where he you know the 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 stuff like the the robot arm and stuff are stuff you know, good physical effects you can do. Well, they all had to be physical effects in those days. And then there were a lot of just stunt budget. But, you know, he really spent his money well. He he did everything. You know, it had everything. It had, it was tightly plotted. Well, I mean, Linda Hamilton really, you know, that established her as a star is, as right. opposed to a sort of exploitation movie booby actress. Although you get to yeah. see her boobies in this too, but... That was sort of, I think, the end of Linda Hamilton having to show her boobies in every movie after that. I right. I, I met her. She's such a sweet person. Such a really awesome person. I, I met her at Big Apple Con. 
really, wow. really amazing person. I like, you know, like sometimes when you go to cons and you see people, yeah, they're not, you know, they're happy, but she seemed like she was really happy to be there. She was so nice. This one, I like one of the few celebrities I've met that was just so gracious that I was like, wow, she's awesome. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's cool. You know, she. I per- personally, I I found her to be this. You know, the star in the center of the movie. I think. You know, it was sort of, and I remember thinking it reminded me a lot of Alien, where Sigourney Weaver is being, you know, the 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 survivor type. You know, as as a regular right. person, a, 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 especially a female role, where she had, you know, was sort of a regular person was tough but didn't really know that they were tough until they were faced with the situation and by the end of it they end up being the toughest person in the whole right. in the whole movie you know and uh and I think she did that really well from being you know just a sort of regular gal waitress to being you know to fighting for her life constantly you know right. ba- yeah, ba- I like that you see that pre- progression of the character yeah oh yeah and and that that seems to be like a common theme in a lot of my favorite action horror style movies you know like alien the alien movies and uh the the original night of the living dead you know where i i i like those franchises where a woman is you know it kicks ass it's become a cliche now if you watch the sci-fi channel the sci-fi yeah that's channel the funny is, thing yeah is all these nerds who have grown up on on, on these movies so they they but they you know they basically end up when they when it all comes down to it they're just writing Laura Croft over and over again she's really right. hot and she dresses in wife beater shirts and so there's all these sci-fi movies where it's basically some guy's wet dream version of Laura Croft and Terminator's partially responsible for that but every good movie is responsible I, I don't know if you want to hold them responsible for their they're bad imitators and you know the, the terminator that you know the terminator was one of those movies that spawned all the bad all these bad you know you could tell it was huge because all of a sudden there were all these bad italian rip-offs of it just like the road warrior you know right. they, they just were like "Ooh, they did this on a low budget that's a good idea so all of a sudden, well, i think that there's definitely a flip side to the terminator and in, in the popularity because one of the things and, and you kind of commented on it yourself is that you know i i think that the i'll be back although that's become i don't know almost a joke at the time was really really cool and it wasn't like you say it wasn't necessarily written to be okay this is the this is the stupid arnold line people of the are gonna, movie. yeah they didn't know that but people that were going to yeah it, grip onto that it was that. also yeah right. in, in my opinion it was also just everything all the the whole timing of that was perfect right because here's a killing it, it's it's you got to remember the scene that happened and, and how it happened and what happened after that right the preceding scene sarah is telling the police look there's a dude that's coming after me they're like okay whatever ha 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 robot ha 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 you know you're crazy and then as Dr. Silberman is leaving, the Terminator walks right by him, but he didn't make eye contact with him to connect it. Right. So the Terminator goes, it's, he's infiltrating. It's, it's, it's what it does. It's infiltrating with humans, human clothes, sunglasses, because, you know, dude got his eyeball off, goes to him. Hey, I'm a friend of Sarah Connor. I was told she was here. Can I speak to her? No. Um, you know, you can come back. As he's, the police officer is telling him, right. he's looking. Then I'll be back. It's like okay, I'll cool what that's. I'll be back, man, dude. I'm gonna drive a big ass van into this and kill all these motherfuckers in this police station. You know what's you know? really 
see the line, and then he walks out, right? And the cop just goes about his business, and he's writing and stuff. And then in the scene where he realizes that the car is coming, you can see him look up, and he looks at us, the viewer, and he's got headlights on him. Yeah. But then when the perspective changes to the car crashing through, there's no headlights. He actually drove in without headlights on, so it's a little bit of a continuity flub right there. Yeah. But uh, that comes from watching the movie like twenty bazillion times because yeah. I've seen it. Over uh, trust me, I can, I can, I can rip on that. But for the second one, I can, <laughs> I can catch continuity, stunt doubles, all that in the second one. Well, we'll, we'll move on to the second one here in just a second. I, I just yeah, got a couple brief notes on. I don't worry. Yeah. Keep, keep doing anything, dude. Um, I love. Yeah, first- I had a couple quick things on uh, on the first. I thought Chris would get a kick out of this. Yeah. I read the novel to. Um, Terminator, you know, the first Terminator and to Terminator 2 and I really don't remember all that much about them you know, this was back in the day where I really used to like to read the novelizations of of whatever new movies that I really enjoyed, but one thing I do remember about uh, the Terminator novelization that always stuck in my mind was uh, you know, the reason that Sarah ends up going out that night and she winds up at that tech noir place was that she was supposed to go on a date remember and she she ends up getting a call from the guy who was going to take her out and he calls off at the last moment but the place that they were supposed to be going where he was supposed to be taking her that night was to a julian lennon concert really yeah yeah i I knew you'd get a kick out of that that is hilarious yes i actually uh, yeah That, that's a whole saw. long story of me and Randy and Pete Hesh. <laughs> and Julian Lennon, of course. But that's <laughs> another that. story for another day. That's right. I forgot about that. Yep. Well, something you touched on, and I definitely wanted to make a point to talk about, was uh, Brad Fidel uh, did the score for, for both the first movie and the second movie. And... Uh, this is where I discovered, well, actually, two movies that were out pretty close to the same time um, that are favorite movies of mine were both scored by him was uh, The Terminator and then uh, Fright Night. He also did the score to that. And uh, I really like Brad Fidel's stuff. You know, I, I don't have a lot of his scores, but, uh, you know, I've seen several movies that he scored and he just has a unique style and a unique sound to his scores. But his Terminator score, I thought, was just perfect it's so metallic and mechanical sounding and relentless (laughs) yeah but it doesn't sound you know it doesn't grate on you or or get on your nerves or anything it it totally works you know in the framework of of the movie itself i really really enjoy it well what it reminded me of when i when i saw the movie i i i'm a big john carpenter fan and it reminded me of some of john carpenter's scores he did is yes it was very simple it had a bit of a synthesized feel to it, which is a very appropriate, you know. I mean, that's the thing about that time period is a lot of those scores suffer from that. And, and the movies themselves, hairstyles and, you know, dress fashions and stuff of that 80s, you know, dating. But in the case of The Terminator, it doesn't date it because... It just worked so well in the context of the movie of an evil, right. relentless robot. That well, plus you know, it's a time travel movie, so I think it just adds to the whole ambiance of right. the thing of this this thing from the future coming back 
1984. So this is one of those movies you can watch and not go, oh, Jesus, this shit's really dated. Look at the hairstyles. You can look at it yeah. and go, wow, this is really dated. It's you know, very accurate. He went, it's, it's yeah, the 80s. he went back to that year. Yeah, exactly. That It, it totally works for it. Well, that helps. And, and it wouldn't for a lot of other movies. Well, that helps when you make it with movies like that when you're making sequels to them because when the sequels take place in the modern time period, then you know it takes place in the context of you can film them in the modern period you know it's not like all of a sudden these characters have modern dress and stuff you know it, it's taking place now so yeah yeah it, it can which you know and speaking of sequels we might as well hop right to your favorite Leroy well I, I had a <laughs> oh you have one more yeah I know I had a couple other oh, okay real quick uh uh, and the point at the very beginning where uh, where Arnold comes in and he he kills those young punks, I always got a big kick out of the fact that uh, that two or the three of those guys became sort of not not stars necessarily, but uh, you know that they went on to other things beyond this because one of them is uh, is Bill Paxton, yeah, the, the one that's got the like the spiky hair, you know, the real punk looking one. That's uh, Bill Paxton, and then the other guy that he kills is uh, uh, Brian Thompson, who I'm trying to think of—I know he was in Cobra. I'm trying to think of some other movies that he was in, but he just has a real distinct look because he—he's got just a kind of a, a weird jaw and a weird face to him. So he—he he, a lot of times he played bad guys and like big toughs and stuff like that, but. Uh, I always get a kick out of the begin watching the beginning of that movie and seeing those two guys because you know they're they're recognizable to me now, you know, but they weren't at the time. They were just starting their careers. And uh, well, Cameron, the biggest I thing think that really liked Bill Paxton because then he showed oh, yeah. up in Aliens, you know. So and uh, Titanic, right? So you yeah. know that he- and Twister and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, plus Bill Paxton is the guy that's uh, walking down the street at the beginning of uh, the Fish Heads video, and sits down and unwraps the fish head before the song starts. Oh, that's Bill I have Paxton. to watch that. Yep, it sure as hell is. <laughs> I love Fish Heads. Fish Heads really, really fish <laughs> Oh heads. yeah, I love that song. Well, my my last note on this. One of the things I really liked about the first Terminator movie, and one of the things that really, really made it click and connect with me, is I like time travel stories, but I'm very selective about my time travel stories. They they have to work in a particular way. Really, I, I like them best when there's rules, and they follow those rules, and they stick to those rules, whatever the rules may be. And with the Terminator movie, and the reason I really, really liked it, and one of the reasons I don't really dig the first sequel, which we'll get to in a moment, is in the first Terminator movie, everything is cyclical. You know, everything that happens at the end of that movie was intended to happen exactly that way. You know, with Reese coming back, you know, Sarah gets pregnant with with John, the way everything turns out at the end of the movie... You know, by Sarah crushing the Terminator where she crushes it, this is the company that eventually finds that crushed Terminator. And over the course of the years of studying that that machine, at least in the novelization, that company becomes Cyberdyne. That becomes the company that makes the Terminators in the future. So everything is one big time loop 
cycle of continuity, and I love that. Uh, it's it's funny because I can explain that uh, Cyberdyne bit in a second when we get to two. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But well, between, um, uh, between one and two, just real quick, um, there were some comic books that came out. I don't know if you guys ever checked out any of these. Uh, I remember checking them out, but I don't remember much about yeah. them, to tell you the truth. I'll leave no stuff after T2 in terms of comics. Uh, so that's okay. really cool. I want to hear this. Well, I, I, I don't have too much on it. Um, I, I read the Now comic stuff. That started up in, uh, in 90, uh, 1988. Um, now Comics put out a series that went, went like 17 or 18 issues, something like that. Um, and it was okay. The problem with it was that, you know, it, it had an interesting premise and it had an interesting idea. But I think it suffered from the fact of... I. I I always got the feeling like they were afraid of showing like the really intense violence that the, that the first, you know, of course all they had to work off of was the first movie. That was all that was out at the time. So they were trying to put it, you know, it takes place in the future world that, that Reese had come from, you know, it's, it's post-apocalyptic and all that. And it's really about the human survivors and their struggle for survival uh, against the Terminators. And it was interesting but it didn't really have any teeth to it. You know, it, it didn't show really intense violence, didn't have any language or anything like that. It, it didn't have a lot of the hallmarks that had come to be associated with the first Terminator movie. So it tried really hard, but ultimately over the course of it, it, it just it felt watered down at the start. And by the end of it, it felt like, wow, this just isn't nailing the notes that it needs to to nail but they did have a, a series after the series proper failed there was a mini series called uh terminator burning earth which have uh uh have you read that you know it's funny i haven't yet i'm waiting to send them to get by actually if i reach right now i now have it in my hands <laughs> i'm not kidding it was literally right here on my desk now that features the first uh alex ross yeah Oh, beautiful! It's, that's his, I think this is his first one of his first comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's great. I haven't read it yet, but I know that much. And uh, I, I found this bad boy. You know how like in cons they have those sets? Oh yeah. Uh, I got it in a cheap set with two other uh, Terminator packs. Um, huh. I got it off for cheap for like twenty. Uh, and the reason why is because I guess I impressed the guy with my Terminator knowledge. I was like, yeah, this <laughs> man. He was like, hey, I'll sell this for you for cheap. I was like. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so. I've heard good things about that. I, I have it myself and still haven't read it. Well, I read the first issue when it came out, and I thought it was really good because it's a step up from the original Now Comics series, you know, as far as it, it was a lot more gritty and, and closer in oh. tone to the movie. But I still haven't ever read the, the remaining, yeah. I think it's five issues, if I remember right, five or six issues, yeah. and I haven't read the rest of the, it. The thing about Now Comics, and, and I've I read a few Now Comics growing up, now comics catered a lot to the younger guys. Right. You know, I mean, sure, I think they published some Beavis and Butthead stuff because I remember reading some of that from them. But it was more younger. So, of course, they're not going to, you know, attend to the grittier, more heavy, violent stuff because it was it was a kid's company comics, you know. And I figured, well, you know, they probably, their decision, I mean, I'm not sure if that's what happened. I can You can only just assume, you know what, let's just tone it down a bit just in case who's getting this, you know. Well, it's funny because they, they got several licenses that were supposed to be the same, you know, because they also had the license to Fright Night, 
and Fright Night suffered from the same exact thing. Whereas yeah, the movie it's... was, you know, was it was, you know, it was violent and uh, it was scary and it was, in a lot of ways, it had a lot of the same packaging and a lot of the same uh, sort of cliches to it of like a slasher flick as far as you know young nubile girls getting naked or you know having their tops ripped off and stuff like that you know a lot of you know boobies and blood and yeah, guts and yeah. things like that yet the movie <laughs> Chris is getting all excited yet the comics by now didn't have any of that so you know in that it was Peter and uh and uh, Charlie were going up against, you know, monsters and aliens and stuff, and it, and it had more of a silly, you know, comic booky feel. It was very to it. cartoony. Yeah, like very Saturday cartoony. morning cartoony sort of. Thing. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a perfect way to put it. That that's what I was going for with the Terminator comic that now was putting out. That's a perfect way to put it. It was like taking the Terminator movie and then spinning a Saturday morning cartoon out of it. That's a perfect way to put it. You know, that they were trying very hard to make it faithful, yet because it was watered down for the yeah. kiddies, you, yeah, how, how like intense... making the Toxic Avenger into a kiddie cartoon. Exactly. That's ex- <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect analogy. Well, Absolutely. The kiddies could have taken it, take it from the five-year-old who saw Terminator 1 into a whole bunch of horror movies. <laughs> we would have been fine, guys. Just saying. <laughs> but then in 1990... One... Then uh, Dark Horse oh, got a hold of uh, the the comics, and they had a four issue mini that I don't know if you've ever Burning read. Earth. Uh, no, no, this oh. was because uh, now now comics did the Burning Earth one. I think that was their last thing that they did with the Terminator, if I remember right. Uh. But then they lost the license somewhere between you know some somewhere right around eighty nine or ninety. And then Dark Horse immediately snagged it in 90. That's when they put out uh, their four-issue mini for, for Terminator. And it was great. It I think I have really, the first really one. Good. Is the first one the letters like in blue? It's kind of like... I don't remember. Yeah, I actually... I, I think I have that one. Yeah. The, I mean I, the first issue of Dark Horse anyway. Well, the, the first issue... I remember the cover... Had a had a Terminator on it that uh, they were doing like the Spider-Man effect, like half of him was him as yeah. the full guy with the skin and everything, and then the other half of him was you know the the exo you know the endoskeleton. Right, and that that arc was called Tempest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I think that's what the trade is is called when they finally traded that. That's a great story, and in a lot of ways, because that that predates Terminator Two. And in a lot of ways, again, that lent into some of my disappointment with uh, with the second movie because that that comic was a sequel to Terminator. It was the first real sequel we got, and I thought uh, it was much more intense and much more interesting a story than. What so I, I think I think that's why you're probably uh, disappointed in T two because of the story there. Partially, partially. Oh. Well, we well, let's go ahead and get into T two. Okay. Now, uh, uh, is it okay if I go first? Sure, go uh, ahead. Uh, sorry, it's just this is my favorite one. It's very dear to me, close to my heart anyway. Um, I remember watching this movie. Now, here's the thing. I remember all this in in great detail, you know, because I remember for the first time, I'm at my, my biological mom's place along with my stepdad. So we're there, you know, and I'm just there hanging out. And then he's like, oh, I want to watch this movie. And then there's a big – this is when pay-per-view used to have this countdown for movies, not like on demand. 
um, where you had to wait for a movie to start on pay-per-view. Right, right. And so it's counting down, and I'm there, and all I see is a big T2 and a timer. And I'm just there like, okay, you know, this this looks interesting. It's counting down to something. I have no idea what. So I'm just there like, you know, they're, you know, a little five-year-old or whatever. Movie starts. Opening scene hooked me, grabbed me. I felt like it just, I just got captivated by it. You see this, you see this, um, these kids playing in the playground. And I remember it was just so beautiful. These kids playing and then there's a phase out. As a phase out, there's like a, a dystopian future. And again, we see Los Angeles 2029 AD. And you see this war with these robots and humans. And I'm there like, this is the coolest shit I have ever seen in my life, you know? And I'm just there like, wow, this is so awesome. So I'm watching it and I'm just there. And, and then later on, you know, you notice that the good guys are robot. Which is why when I went to go see Terminator 1, I understood why John Connor was kind of afraid of the Terminator in Terminator 2. Because in Terminator 2, you see you see him clearly running away from him when he first sees him. Obviously, I'm jumping around now. And I just remember that everything was great. Just to see the, the special effects, the T-1000, all liquidy and stuff. It was just awesome. And the whole fact that this robot um, ended up... Well, again, this is the first time I was watching it, but just... It had this connection to this one kid, and it was doing its best to protect him. I just thought it was fantastic. So, And then later on, as I watch it over and over, along with 1 and 2, 1 and 2, until 3 came out, I just I just studied it completely so I know dates and stuff. and just the, I, I went into the mythology strongly, heavily, um, to the point where I, I got like a whole bunch of memorabilia, but I'll get into that a little later. But yeah, that's that's my opening thoughts on T2. Chris, this 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 is also my favorite Terminator movie, and I remember when this came out. You know, Cameron had come out with Aliens, and he had sort of redefined, you know, doing a sequel where you take the idea of it, you don't copy that movie. He changed the idea of it, made it into an action movie, up the ante, up the action. So this basically was the same thing. You know, he got his hands on this and. You know he's he's pretty masterful with with sequels. You know he do, he takes them in a little different direction, and 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 that's what I liked about this one. He had a twist right at the very beginning because if you if nobody had told you about it when you first go to see the movie, for one that that opening scene, which is funny when when after seeing the first Terminator, that opening scene is sort of like seeing, you know, Obi Wan and Anakin fighting, you know, over the lava. You know, uh-huh. it's something you'd heard about in the first movie, and you get to see a little bit of it in this movie. And uh, and then if, if if you hadn't known ahead of time, you know, you see that whole scene with Schwarzenegger, you think he's there to get John Connor. And when it all gets turned around, and you know, you think the cop is is the guy, because you the know, the, yeah, the cop, and he just plays that whole cliche of. Okay, here's here's our sequel where we do exactly the same thing as the first movie, but we just do it louder and brighter. So you're like, all right, they're doing the same thing. You got the skinny human guy who looks like a cop, and then you got Arnold coming back, and there's going to be a fight. And then it turns it all on its ear right at the very beginning, and then just starts in on the the um, the same formula of relentless, you know, basically. You know, now that you have a new Terminator, and this is this is part of the Terminator formula that I love is 
When you have your new Terminator and you show it, every scene that you see that Terminator is sort of like an underlining the fact that this thing is unstoppable and exactly and, and just badass. In this movie, the Terminator had to be really badass to be a threat to a Schwarzenegger Terminator, which was we had determined in the last movie was incredibly badass. So, and it succeeds brilliantly in this. And you know, at that time, those whole, all those morphing special effects were just starting to get used and they usually looked really cheesy but Cameron used them to really good effect and this one he had a huge budget and he used it well too you know he he still yeah. he still had a very tight script tight acting you know I think uh, Edward Furlong was a great you know they made a lot of publicity about you know how they discovered him and stuff but I think he worked out really good and I mean, as a five-year-old kid, you must have been just like he—he he was an older kid, you know. And like to to us, it was like watching a movie about a, a kid. And to to you, it must have been like watching like an older a brother teenager. or something—a teenager yeah. who was cool yeah. and stuff. Exactly. So, you know, it's it's so funny. That's exactly what I thought when I saw that. I was like, wow, this right. this, this big kid is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I can just go back on something, you brought up a good point. Uh, hopefully, I'm not cutting Scott off with this. Um, I, I love the fact that it's true when you start the movie and you don't know anything about it going in because in the trailers they kind of gave away that Arnold was going to be good uh, that was the big thing in the promotions from what I read you go in if you watch Terminator 1 and watch Terminator 2 if you really just watch it because I did this to a few of my friends who've never seen Terminator I would show them 1 and then 2 you would think that the Arnold is evil and you just he's still so ruthless even though he doesn't kill he's still ruthless even though subtle things like in the first one when you took the clothes that's like your clothes give them to me Whereas in the big change in part two is, um, I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. A little bit more polite, but still as badass when he throws them through the window. Uh, I thought that was really awesome. <laughs> also, one one thing that I, I forgot to mention, the one favorite part of this movie is Sarah Connor. Because she did a complete oh, yeah. uneaten change. She went from this innocent little 19-year-old girl that is all, oh my god, you know, what am I going to do? Oh, you know, ha ha, he, damsel in distress to this one, tw- 10 years later, this 29-year-old badass that you're like, oh my god, she, this is awesome. She became Kyle Reese, basically, from the yeah. first movie. She saw what Kyle Reese was and what he did to survive, and she became, and she, she, I love the action heroes who do not fuck around at all and that's well, also there's that sequence where she storms Dyson's house near the, oh yeah about the middle of the she, movie well, she pretty and much, she but... realizes that she has become exactly the thing that she's trying to stop because as she's got him on the ground and he's begging for his life she suddenly realizes she's about to do to him exactly what the Arnold yeah she's of, become a Arnold Terminator yeah, yeah exactly exactly and, while I absolutely hate what was done to her in the second movie, I have to respect Cameron for the way he pulled that. Because that does work very well in that. I just don't like it. But it it, do, it is a pretty extraordinary. I mean, he really pulls it off very, very well. <laughs> Can I ask why you didn't like it? For that exact reason, that I, I thought that she was a, a nice character in the first movie. I liked... You know, granted, I like to see at the end of the movie, you know, where she's barking at Reese and saying, you know, get up, Reese, on your feet, soldier, and all that, that she was starting to get that 
right. tougher demeanor, and she was starting to, you know, for lack of a better term, she was starting to man up because she realized that this is what she was going to have to do to not only survive but to also protect her child. You know, I, I understand that, and I enjoyed that in the first one. But then in the second movie, she's gone completely around the fucking bend to where now she's this, like, super bitch. You know, she's well, see, completely I, I like that. ardent Me too. and yeah. militaristic and very Terminator. I, I just, you know why? She lost all femininity, well, that's, and I really didn't that's, like that that's, at all. That's what I, I, I liked it for that same reason, because... If you know, I mean, a lot of times movies like this don't really spend that much time on character development. And if Thank you, you. really yeah. think about, like, if somebody just knows, and, and she has a whole scene where you're watching the videotape where, you know, she's telling everybody, you're all dead, you know? Yeah. You're all, oh, all dead. All, every one of us is dead. Don't, you but, don't understand. And that, that would drive you right to the edge right. of madness. No, and that's I'm where she about... was. I understand what you're saying. I'm all about the character development, and I like the you know certain aspects of the way her character was developed. But jumping way, way, way ahead in the timeline for a moment, I thought that the actress, and I wish I could remember her name, and I've forgotten off the top of my head, but the actress that played her in the Sarah Connor Chronicles, I thought Lena Headey made a is that her name? Lena Headey, yeah, yeah, made a much better Sarah post the first movie because she had that drive and that that badass demeanor to where you know, you knew that she could take care of herself yet she was still a well, very attractive and very feminine you know, well, you know whereas could, Linda I, Hamilton in the second Terminator is just because she just, has nothing because she doesn't have a kid you know she has a kid John Connor but he's been taken away from her she's locked up in a home and and right. she's going fucking berserk because she knows that exactly. like her, her, the, his foster parents are not going to be able to protect him from what's going going on, and she knows what's going to happen, and she has nothing, right. so she's a desperate person. And in a way, the Terminator is the one who helps bring her back to humanity, or you know, right. her no, son. See, I'm not really even talking about. That. I'm talking about the fact that she's completely lost her femininity in that second one, because I, I agree with you. I think that strong female uh, heroes and, and her heroines, you know, that strong wow. female characters are, are very important and very, uh, so you're you know, saying often, you wanted to, but you wanted to, you wanted some more eye candy. <laughs> well, I think I wanted her to strike a balance, you know, I, I know, I know, I know, I know exactly where it's going. You know, I, I know you're I, I have a, a woman who is tough as nails, kick ass hero, action hero, that's still a woman, you know, that you can still look at and go, wow, she's beautiful, but she could totally kick my ass. Like a like a Laura Croft, for example. And I think in the first Terminator movie, I think Linda Hamilton fills that role pretty well, that by the end of the movie, she's on the road to badass. But she's still a very attractive young woman, and and so you've got. I would do know, her in got, Terminator Two, man. Eh, I see. I'd, I fell in love me, with her. She's got that that bodybuilder thing going on by the second movie. Well, I she's just not you attractive in yeah. the second one. You have to remember, though, and I, I guess I'm going to echo Peter's sentiments here. Is uh, Chris's? Um, you have to remember that 
you just snapped. You just like you lost this dude. You lost this kid. You're in a, You're in this room. You know what's coming, and she doesn't have time to be girly with what's coming. It goes also back to what Kyle said in the first movie when she said, "Women from where you come from, how are they?" And he's like, "They make good soldiers." She's not like, okay, I don't have time to be girly. I mean, yeah, she is a girl, but it's like, look, I got to prepare because something's going down. Right. But then again, I do want to make that point that you made. Um, you're right. Lena Headey is a great Sarah Connor. But if you, if you combine all three of them, you have to look at it like this. After what just happened in part two, Sarah Connor had time to calm down and go, all right, you know what? It's over for now. Let me work on being a woman. Let me work on taking care of my son. And that's where Lena Headey's character comes in. Because that is a post-Terminator 2 Sarah Connor. Right. right. So uh, that's how I see it anyway. And, you know, but I, I understand where you're coming from. I respect that. Yeah. And in, and and the and in the TV show, she's also, they're, they're fading into society. They're not, like, hiding out in the desert. So she has to be, she even allows herself to have a relationship you know, at the beginning of it, she's yeah. involved in a relationship. So you, you, you know, it's well, not just to, a not to, yeah, circumstances. Well, I, I know we're going to jump in the show a little bit later in the discussion, but just really quick, I just wanted to also point out that in the show they did allude that she was just crazy because you have to remember she really was crazy in part two. She really lost it with some truth to it, and they brought that they brought that up again in in the TV show when she was seeing visions of her crazy self. So it wasn't that she lost her femininity, it's that she really lost her mind. So That's a good point. Now, Chris, where did, where did you see, first see uh, Terminator 2? Same place. The, the, I'm, it, you know, I may have seen it. It may have been out on, in the Salmon Run Mall. I saw it in, in, um, in Watertown, though. I believe. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I could have. What you came out in 1991. I probably saw it here in Rochester. It, yeah, it came out 99. July July of 91. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I probably saw it here in Rochester, but I saw it in the theater because I was I was pumped for it. Now I remember being super super psyched when I don't remember if it did it when it came out theatrically but when Total Recall came out on VHS I was actually working in video at the time I was working for a company called uh, Saturday Matinee and for some crazy ass reason I could not tell you why we ended up getting this mandate um, from the company saying you know, the, the day the movie came out put this immediately on the store's playlist and I was like the only person that had actually seen that movie in the theater. And I was like, uh, guys, I don't think we want to be playing this in the store. You know, Total Recall, for anybody that doesn't know, that's one wicked movie. I mean, as far as violence and language and sex and everything else. But all they knew was that it had been like the biggest friggin' thing to come out, you know, in the last few years. And and they wanted, you know, they uh, thought that they wanted to try to sell a zillion copies. And so they said to put it on the playlist. So I was like, all right, well, they said to play it. So what I would do is I would put it in and I would let it play just select scenes, you know, so that uh, we wouldn't get complaints or anything. But anyway, at the beginning of that VHS tape was the trailer, the teaser for T2. And I'm pretty sure that was the first time that that was shown. And it was simply the one that just started with an assembly line. Yeah. 
that was putting together the the skull. I remember you calling me up in a frenzy after seeing it, just going, oh my god. Yep. I flipped the fuck out over that Thank trailer. God. You guys are it, my call holes, but a lot older. Because <laughs> me well, and it, do that. Yeah, yeah. It just it showed it going along, you know, the assembly line getting like drills would kind of, you know, like how they build a car. And it would come out and, you know, it would drill in this piece and it would drill in that piece. And finally at the end, this thing like slams together and then the, these locks turn and it locks in place. And it was like a big like Play Doh mold or something. Yeah. And then it breaks apart, and it was Arnold standing there with his eyes closed, and he lifts his head, and he looks up, and when his eyes open, they're glowing red. And it just says Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and I think it even gave a date or a, you know something like coming next summer or something to that effect. And it was like, holy shit. Didn't show you anything no, about the nothing. Movie, but it was just enough to get you, like, so psyched. I was really... It was sort of the definition of teaser, you know? He was... Absolutely. But I remember everybody that was into the first movie just totally being wired for it, being so worked up and so excited. So anyway, I uh, I saw that one at the Carousel Mall in Syracuse. It was one of the f- few movies I ever saw there. Um, and I, I saw it there and I went with uh, the girlfriend I had at the time was a, was a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. So she was really into going to see it. And I walked away from that movie extremely disappointed. And uh, I'm the only person I know that really is not much of a fan. You know, that's a Terminator fan, but it's not really all that crazy about the second one. I've come to enjoy it more over the years as I've seen it in subsequent viewings. And and I've learned to live with a lot of the the things that aggravate me or that disappoint me with it. But um, that's real quick, just... The, the biggest thing with it that, that put me off, for one thing, you can't fault the movie for its action or, like you were talking about, the CGI effects, you know, are absolutely amazingly cutting edge. Is, you know, that's James Cameron's hallmark anyway. I mean, I was, I was just about to say that. Yeah. yeah, totally pushes the edge, you know, and pushes the boundaries of special effects and, and especially computer effects. And I think that uh, Terminator 2's effects really really hold up well I, I watched it again not too long ago with my oldest boy and uh, and he really enjoyed it and a lot of times you know scotty's not afraid to kind of give me shit sometimes if we watch a movie and he thinks the effects or, or something is dated or doesn't hold up he'll he'll tell me he'll let me know and it's usually in a pretty kind way i'll be like dad you know that's kind of cheesy or wow that you know those effects don't really look good but unlike you didn't have unlike you like, would have been if you were a little kid watching it <laughs> yeah that's yeah absolutely but, uh, you know, I, I watched it. I was really I was pleasantly surprised by how well it held up. And I was pleasantly surprised that I liked it a lot better after having several years away from it, you know, since I'd seen it the last time. But still, the, the biggest thing for me, the, the biggest disappointments were, for one thing, th- this was the movie where I really learned, I think, for the first time that maybe sometimes we're better off not getting sequels to our favorite movies, you know? Blasphemy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, I, I I'm really joking around. That. Um, but, it, you know, for takes place timeline, which I didn't like that right off the bat. You know, rather than picking yeah. up right away in the year that the 90s actually took place a little bit into the future. 94. Yeah, just prior to 
you know, when Judgment Day was actually supposed to happen. And that was only so that they could squeeze John Connor into the story. And I, I just didn't like that. That aggravated me. I can't really put my finger on why it just did. Uh, just so that they could squeeze the John character in there. I, I felt like, well, if you're going to do that, then just wait. You know, wait until you've got somebody that, that is the right age and all that sort of thing. But also, this one's... I felt like they took the teeth out of the Terminator in a lot of ways with this movie because it's much jokier. It's got a much lighter tone. Mm. And, uh, you know, Arnold having to actually act and carry a movie, I think, acts to this movie's detriment. You know, because he talks too much and he's much more of an actual character in this one rather than just the bad guy that walks around shooting people. He was a bigger star and he could demand that, but you see, it's funny, what what you don't like, all the things that you don't like are the things that I liked about it. (laughs) I, I I can see where he's coming from and I think I can try to explain that when he's done, but I, I, I understand where you're coming from and respect it as a Terminator 2 fan. Well, the number one thing, though, those are just little things that, that bug me right out of the gate. But the biggest thing, and this drives me nuts, and no amount of explaining will make this one go away because this just continues to irk me, you know, almost 20 years later, is, uh, you know, like I said earlier, Terminator set up a very specific set of rules. And I loved the way that it followed its own rules, that in the end of the movie, everything happened exactly the way it was supposed to. Well, another thing I just thought of was in the novelization, they explain why the Terminator was doing certain things. You know, Sarah had this this scar and this pin in her leg that every time the Terminator would kill somebody, it would look for this scar and for this pin, and it never could find it in any of its victims. And there's even a scene in the movie where after it kills Sarah's roommate, you see it go over to the body and it's checking the body. And I believe that's actually what it's looking for is this identifying scar. Oh, that's cool. At the end of the movie, when Sarah jams the, uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, Reese rather, jams that pipe bomb into the endoskeleton and it blows up. And Sarah gets hit by a piece of the shrapnel and and it sticks in her leg. That's where she gets the scar and later the pin. So the Terminator was actually looking for something that hadn't happened yet. That's so awesome. Was, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Awesome. Yeah, I really like that. Everything is cyclical in that movie. And I, I loved the way it stuck to that, that, that everything was intended you, to happen. That and, by trying to stop you know, John Connor's birth, the Terminator actually in, ensured that it was going to happen. Um, quick question. I'm sorry. Uh, this was, you said, in the novel? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got to pick that up. I did, I did not know that. That's really awesome. Yeah, it was it was cool. There's a lot of extra things in the novelization that talks about. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the specs of the Terminator as well. You know, thing you know capabilities that it had and things that it could do, how long it was built to last, and things like that. But then the second movie, and Cameron, who I respect and and like very much, and and I have a you know I, I have a lot of respect and just hero worship for the guy i think he's an amazing filmmaker yet he gets to this movie and throughout rule set up with the first one 
this movie, the second one, is not cyclical at all. It does not follow the same formula that was set up with the first movie. And I can't stand that. You know, time travel movies have to follow a set of rules or they just don't work. At least they don't work for me. Yeah. And one of the things that drives me nuts in this one is the whole thing of, you know, well, there's no fate but what we make for ourselves. Now, that's bullshit. Reese <laughs> never says that in the first that's movie. That's true. They changed it. Yeah, they did yeah. change that. Yeah. And, you know, you could try to play it off by saying, well, you know, that's something that happens in the gutters and we just don't see it. You know, it's a, it's a scene that we weren't privy to. But I still call bullshit because everything in that first movie was fated to happen. It, it all plays out the way it was intended by the Terminator coming back. Yet you get to the second one and it, and it completely works a, a totally different well, I way. Think, I think that becomes part of the formula with Terminator movies right. where they play off that fate and cha- you know changing things. By the time the television show in the fourth movie came along, in the third movie... You know, it's the whole reality timeline is almost like, you know, basically a whole bunch of different strings of reality mm-hmm. timelines. Right. And so, that that's why I really, in the long run, as much as I've enjoyed the sequels and, and the television show and stuff like that, in the long run, I ultimately I wish that there had only been just well, the yeah, first if, one. If, if, because, if they were not going to follow their formula. Well, if they followed their formula, there would never ever be, after the first movie, there would never be any suspense because you know everything's faded and you already know the story. Yeah. All the well, characters that are important, you already know whether, what their fates are, so... There's no there suspense as to out, what would though. happen. So that's why they have to change things around because they have to make it so where you actually, you know, you have to actually worry for somebody's life when you know that they're probably supposed to be living in the future, but then you know they could get killed off in this timeline right. or whatever. But see, there is an easy out for that because I thought about this before and I thought, what is it that's bugging me so much with this? And I, I finally tracked it down to one scene. And it's the scene where they're in the desert and they're, and they're getting, you know, they're at Enrique's place and they're getting their weapons and all that. And Sarah has her little dream of nuclear war again and she wakes up and she gets all pissed off and she decides, that's it. I'm going to go take out uh, Miles Dyson. And she takes off on her own to go kill this guy. And that's where the timeline splits from the way things were supposedly going to play out and, and supposed to play out. And that's where this movie drives me absolutely batshit crazy because there's absolutely no outside influence (laughs) on it. And this is the part of the movie that could have been fixed to explain sequels. And and this could be where sequels came from is that if they're all, all they would have needed was a line where the Terminator walks over to her and says, you know, if you go take this guy out, none of this shit will ever happen. You know, and then all of a sudden you've got your skew. You know, you've got your point where the timeline diverges from the way it was supposed right. to happen. Well, but you you don't get that. There's no outside influence following the same formula as the first movie. The Terminator coming back was supposed to happen. That's the catalyst for everything happening the way it happens. So the Terminator coming back again in the second movie isn't an outside influence following the formula of the the first movie. It it was still supposed to happen that way. So that's not the outside influence. What is the outside influence that makes Sarah go after 
Dyson. There's not one. And it's, that's where the logic of the movie completely falls apart for me to, and why it doesn't work. Yeah, you have to remember, though, and I, I, I think I said this already, she was crazy. That's that's what happened. It's not that there was no right. outside influence. It's that she's having nightmares. She's going nuts. This thing is coming. And her train of thought was already messed up as it is. She was already trying to recuperate. She's trying to stop this. And I, I guess, like they said, they already mentioned it in the car when they were driving to Enrique's when she said how this guy in that start, he talks about, well, the guy. And then he also said it in these words, primarily responsible. It doesn't mean that it can't happen. Right. No, I mean, I understand yeah. all that. But what I'm saying is everything that she does is fated to happen that way until... And, you know, like like you and I, our, our lives are going to play out a particular way. And no matter what decision we make, whether we think that we're being spur of the moment or not, it's all fated to happen a particular way. And, really? and it's all it's already all happened Whoa. to somebody in the future. This has all already happened. Yet if somebody comes back from the future and says, you know what, don't go into work today, because if you do, you know, this is going to happen instead you know, stay home and, and a whole different series, you know, then you've got your outside influence. Uh, and so that's what I'm saying in this yeah. movie. There's no outside influence that's telling her this is what you're supposed to do. And this, you know, if you do this, everything's going to change. And she just makes a decision that is suddenly going to change the timeline. It doesn't work that way. Right. It, well, you know, it's remember- not, Remember earlier, I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, I mean, not cut you off, like, just, I, I guess I can try to explain this a little bit. See, um, remember earlier when I said I can explain that Cyberdyne stuff from the first right. movie? I said that earlier. All right, I'm explaining it. And I understand and I respect where you're coming from with the whole Terminator 1. And I guess with me, the reason why, and maybe Chris, this is so dear to me because I started with two. You know, I didn't know. And then again, I was a little kid, so I wasn't already thinking about it as I was. I was thinking more of like uh, mythology as to where they come from and stuff like that. Now, in Terminator 1, you said that everything cycled back along with the chip in the arm where he got crushed. That's where the T-1000 came from when she crushed that Terminator in that machine place. Because remember when they were talking in Dyson's house, she said, oh, um, how do you know about this? Because he says, oh, uh, we found the chips when you got shot. Right. Now, go back to Terminator 1. It's just something to think about. In Terminator 1, they specifically said... This is the first of their kind, the T-800 Terminators. In Terminator 2, when you see that future, there's a whole bunch of them. Why is there a whole bunch of them? Because that chip was placed in the past, meaning that they had more time to develop these Terminators. So now they develop more T-800s along with an advancement to create the T-1000, which we see as the you know liquid guy in, in, in Terminator 2. Are you with me so far? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, you know, so because of the, that chip is that they started to create more. Now, because they created more, then that means that whatever was destined to happen in part one didn't because that one Terminator stayed behind. It wasn't completely destroyed. It left behind some evidence. That's my interpretation. And because it left that evidence, we got more T-800s in 2029 than we're supposed to because we're supposed to have a few. We got a lot more 2029, uh, bleh, a lot more T-800s in 2029, along with the T-1000, which isn't supposed to exist according to Terminator 1 because it came from the same year. It came from 2029. Um, I, I guess the best way to explain this trivia is, remember how Kyle Reese came from 2029 in Terminator 1? Right. 
one bit of trivia is that in Terminator 2, the scene that we see in the beginning, um, you probably know this, uh, Scott. Uh, did you see the, the DVD specials where they were ta- in the special edition DVD, they talk about how that beginning scene of the war is actually how they were supposed to, they broke the Skynet defense system as, as Kyle Reese explained in, in Terminator 1. They go down, they're supposed to go, it's in storyboard. They go down into this basement, and then in there, Kyle Reese is sent back in time. Right. And then he's supposed to turn to the left and see a whole bunch of turned off T-800s, which is Arnold, reprogramming, and then that's when the movie starts, which is that he sent them back in time. Right. I hope I didn't cross any eyes with that. (laughs) But you get what I'm trying to say there. So I, I guess what James Cameron was trying to do, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, because, because you make a lot of great points. I'm not taking those away from you. I'm just saying my explanation and my interpretation. I think James Cameron just started to play a little more and started adding the whole "there's no fate but what you make," and then well, yeah, yeah, you know, and then that's how all the mechanics started changing, and that became the primary Terminator thing where. Now anything can change, and the only right. timeline subsequent is the timeline that we're seeing at the moment. It became a duel of the fates in Terminator <laughs> Two, because Terminator One is everything. Like Terminator Two, one of the major themes I thought of it was, you know, nothing is fated, but the future is trying to happen for the better and the worse. So there's just always going to be. This, you know, once that once that future of the robots has been triggered, you know, it's just gonna battle its way relentlessly towards that future, and it's you know becomes it becomes up in the air, which is a little cheesy, but is pretty you know it, it helps make it easier for sequels and to conti- you know continuances of it because you can have that struggle and you could you could conceivably be like hey you know we could go out on a limb and do a terminator movie that starts out with john connor getting killed you know or something like that if they wanted to be adventuresome and you know you could you could sort of do that so it'd be very interesting to i I would really like to see that you know, and then maybe somebody else <laughs> pretends to be John Connor and carries on, and that's the John Connor that, you know. But I mean, it leaves it open that to be do other things. Yeah, but right. uh, going back to the previous thing, I mean, I didn't confuse you guys with that explanation, did I? I mean, did no. you guys get what I was? Yeah. You know, I mean, do you guys agree with that? You know, I mean, I agree with it. Well, I agree with it as far as. Um, it's it may not be exactly what James Cameron was going for, but it makes sense. It totally makes sense within the whole framework and context yeah. of, of and everything. It, and maybe the T one thousands are still slow because at the end of Terminator two, they destroy that chip. Once they destroyed the leftover evidence in Cyberdyne, I mean this is before three, you can automatically go, Okay, maybe now we can go back to Terminator one, but you forgot one thing at this point anyway the Terminator arm that got stuck on that machine, remember? When he was finding the T-1000 and his arm right. got caught on that right. mechanic thing, so you still have that. So, the the point I'm trying to make is that even with time travel, there is still with the evidence they leave behind, someone's going to find it and go, ooh, technology. 
you know? Yeah, it's, and it's just like a seed. It's like the seed of evil, try you know, passing, passing yeah. on. As long as there's some little shred from one of those timelines, it'll affect the, it. Can affect the other timelines. And basically, it seems like the whole. If you put the whole thing in context, it's basically how the machines are sort of shredding multiple timelines, mm-hmm. trying to ensure their their existence and continued existence. So, which is which is very interesting. And basically, you know, like when I watch the Terminator, I I, I like to have that whole time travel thing going on, and I like to have the the action and I don't want it to be dumb and if it's all those three three things are fulfilled I'm pretty much happy you know and I sort of count on them to always have decent actors involved and stuff and for the you know for the most part that's been been the case so you know I I it's just with timeline stories if you want to really nitpick the the all the inconsistencies and stuff, you're good at just give yourself a brain embolism doing it. You know what I mean? It's better to just sort of sit back and enjoy the ride for the yeah. most part. And, you know, and the thing that puts the Terminator well, I, on top of that I sort of stuff is it has more to chew on and to argue about than the usual I, stuff like that. See, I agree with you to a point. See, when it comes to something like, say, Back to the Future... I would buy that, that, oh, you know, don't worry so much about it, because that's presented in much more of a jokey, lighthearted right. type, uh-huh. of, yeah. type of setting. But this is supposed to be headier science fiction. I mean, the, the right. time travel element plays such a, an important role in the first movie that, you know, to a degree, our hand is held because exactly the setup and how everything works. It, it's done very deliberately and very meticulously so you know you can't get to the the second one and go ah don't worry about it you know we 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 just you know we didn't want to jump through all those hoops i mean you've got to make the shit match up just as much as it did with the first one and i just for me i just don't think that they did yeah to me you see i was just gonna say to me they they totally did you know there was there was enough of a play on it you know i like that there was a play and a variation Yeah, and and it made it unpredictable, you know. When I saw it, it totally didn't... Because I remember going, I'm not going to watch, like, any reviews of this, any scenes from it, or or read anything about it when I go to see it, because I knew it would probably have some sort of twisty stuff going in, and I wanted to catch it all as it was supposed to be raw. And And I thought it did that very well, and, you know, I mean... The problem with like tying up all those loose ends is you got to keep the movie moving. So right. I think you know he just you know he was I think he was focusing with that movie on making another Aliens, you know, upping the right. ante, making the action scenes the best action scenes ever put on the screen at the time, making the car chases so insanely. You know, I mean, the chase with the semi truck and a and a motorcycle through the you know aqueducts is pretty in, insane. You know. Oh yeah, and, and it's not even that he umped the ante on the Terminator. You know, it's it's from the same year, which is you know, and it's this one Terminator revenge prototype, the first of its kind, 
who all right what's worse than a terminator this one terminator that has no exoskeleton whatsoever holy crap what's going on how do we kill it not even right. a terminator can kill this terminator this is like insane you know i i, I love that that guy scared the crap out of me and man. it's a chameleon and yeah. it's made out of right. metal and it can just spear you through well, the eye it can squish itself it, down to a yeah. carpet you know it was it was more infiltrated because that's what the Terminators are. The term specifically the Terminators because if you think about it, any model before the T, like not the T six hundreds, like the HKs, which are the Hunter Killers and all that, they're just robots. Terminators specifically are the infiltration units, right? You know, and 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 this guy was, um, well before Salvation, the ultimate infiltrator because he can turn into anyone. And if you notice his interaction with people. Compared to Predator mode, when the term when the regular Terminator, the T eight hundreds, are infiltrating, they're still robotic. I, how can I help you? If you notice this guy, the T one thousand, one of the things I love about this model is that when it's infiltrating, it's very more human, more like when he's talking to Janelle and Todd, the the the, the step parents. Right. He goes in, "Hi, how are you? You know, I'm Officer Whatever. I'm looking for John Connor. Oh, okay, cool. You know, but then when he's in Predator mode, his face, his whole demeanor changes, and it's like. I'm scared of you. Yeah, he cha- he he puts more of his uh, his functions towards yeah. pre- pre- instead of blending in. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, yeah, he doesn't need to emote and stuff. And yeah, he's like a tape recorder. You know, he can he can copy voices and stuff. And he's probably as he's interacting with people, he's probably picking up stuff as he goes along. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, going back to Terminator One right. in the beginning. Um, Bill Paxton, um, clothes, give them to me. Fuck you, asshole. And then yep. later on, Bing. picked up that line. Um, fuck you, asshole. You know, when, when they were knocking on the door. Right. And, um, one thing, if, if you guys don't mind, I wanted to throw out some dates here. Because after a while, Terminator, um, Terminator, the thing is, after Terminator 2, dates become important. You know? Um, and I, uh, a lot of people get confused with John Connor's age. But if you look at the scene where the T-1000 is on the computer... You know, looking up the information after he kills that one cop. Mm-hmm. It says there, John Connor, age 10, born 1984. So we know the movie's in 1994. And he's 10 years old. So it's 10 years later after the first one. Just thought right. I'd throw that out there. Because a lot of people, get, like in Terminator 3, they mess up uh, they, they mess up so much continuity in ages. Saying, oh, I was 13, no dude. Oh, yeah. That, that that stuff gets me. Like when they mess up. See, the thing is, uh, as opposed to Scott... Um, the thing that gets me later on with Terminator, it's when they start messing up dates and events. It's like, no! <laughs> but I, I guess we'll get that in a, in a second. But, um, yeah, because yeah. I was just going to say, I think we're right about ready for Terminator 3. Which well, Before we get okay. to Terminator 3, I, um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen this. Um, in 96, um, there was actually a theme park ride terminator 2 3d not not a yeah not a ride but an attraction based on yeah the terminator 2 3d have you have you seen that i wish man i saw the i saw like the clips and stuff or the making but i've never Uh been there to to actually witness the future of information systems and robotics the future of national are we in money okay Listen to me, everybody. We don't have much time. 
Skynet is your enemy. It must be destroyed before it destroys us. Don't believe this cutesy pie video and their slick marketing. These corporate pigs aren't selling safety, they're selling death. They should all be taken out in barbecue. Mom, Mom. Mission, remember? She's a little tense. She's okay, um, attention everyone. The building. I finally got to see this. Um, I went to Universal Studios in uh, in 2006, and I have to say, it was a really strange and kind of surreal experience because you know I had been wanting to see this thing for so long and by the time I finally saw it it was you know, a little here dated. it was it well it was 10 years old as an attraction based on a movie that was 15 years old and it was really kind of weird because I, I don't know it was just by that point, you know, the, the T3 movie had been out. So it was like based on an old storyline, old technology, uh, you know, it was cool. But it was, you know, the, the movie element of it was really neat. It really does tie very heavily into T2. I don't know that you could make it match up necessarily to, to make it part of the official Terminator continuity, but it was still pretty neat. It was nice that it actually had Arnold in it playing the Terminator. It had um, Edward Furlong was in it again playing uh, John Connor. And it was an interesting storyline and all that. But I've seen the video some... of the whole thing like on YouTube oh, okay. before. Yeah, See, it had some yeah, similar aspects of it too where it has some like actual like uh, audience interaction, audience participation where there's actually some live elements in the studio while you're there. That's a little bit silly. But uh, ultimately, it was kind of cool. But uh, I just, I wish I had seen it closer to when it actually had debuted because then it would probably have a fonder memory for me rather than seeing it in 2006 and going, wow, this really hasn't held up very well over the years, I thought. I'm, I was kind of surprised it was still there, to be honest with you. I'd like to check that out. I haven't seen it. I've seen the thing, and I will admit, this is too goofy. This is where they brought all the jokes like, uh-uh, no. Because um, at least in two, and, and you know, you were saying that he was a little goofy. You, you have to think about it like this. You're a 10-year-old with a killer robot. What would you do to it? I mean, I'd do the same thing. I, I'd teach him how to curse. I'd teach him how to do high-five. I'd teach him how to talk slang, you know? <laughs> yep. Well, actually, when I was little, I wish I had a Terminator. I was like, you know, if I had one, I'd do the same thing. Oh, God, if Scott and I had Terminators when we were little, we'd be in prison right now. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, Think but about we'd be that. on the run. <laughs> that's for sure. There would have been a trail of destruction. That's for That's no doubt. Yeah, I just had a quick question for for both you guys, really. Now, taking into account both movies, um, maybe even taking into account the, uh, maybe not so much the, the Now comic series, because that all took place in the future of the timeline, but say taking into account the Dark Horse series that was out, you know, where, where four Terminators come back in that series. By the time we're, we're getting into the third movie, does it get to the point where it gets a little bit, I don't know, maybe silly 
for for lack of a better term, as far as you know, Skynet's just going to continue to keep sending back Terminators every couple of years to try to accomplish its mission. Because that, you know, as much as I enjoy the third movie, that was part of the thing with that one is by that point, it's like, okay, you know. Well, they're not having they're, much luck with the time travel thing. Why do they keep trying it? Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. I, I still think that, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, in my personal opinion, T3 was pointless. They should have jumped to the to post-Judgment Day, you know, but I guess they needed a way to explain how do you get to Judgment Day. But um, when uh, I, I guess this could be a segue to T3, I guess, if that's OK with you guys. Sure. Uh, because the thing is that when I saw the solicitations or commercials and heard about T3, I thought it was going to be the war, you know, and then I find out what it is. And I'm like, oh, oh OK. So now where did you uh, when and where did you first see the, uh, the third movie? Ah, OK, here we go. I was a senior in high school, and it was my first Terminator to watch in the movie theater. And I was so excited to watch this. I was so happy. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's go. All right, a new Terminator movie. And when I left the movie theater, I was crying because it was just such a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because mine is the exact opposite. I remember, you know, I heard it was being made. And I was like, really? Arnold's getting a bit long in the tooth to be the Terminator. Yep. And, uh, you know, just like I was thinking of the new Indiana Jones. And then I was like, well, James Cameron's not really involved. Whatever, you know, that's not going to help it at all. So I was not psyched for it at all. As a matter of fact, I had like zero expectations and sort of zero plans to see it. But there was one day where like the sewer line in the building where I worked went out and they called me up in the morning. They said, ah, we're, you know, it's no work today. And it was the middle of summer. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to ride my bike down to the theater and catch a matinee of Terminator three. Why the hell not? And I went to see it with no, with actually the expectation of it probably kind of sucking, but I was just like, yeah, I'll just, you know, it'll be a nice way to, to pass an afternoon. And, uh, I loved it. I thought it was pretty much, uh, it was lean and mean and sort of a return to the first Terminator as far as being just like mean and gritty and not pulling any punches. And I liked it, you know, it had more of that R-rated feel to it, you know, than the second one did. And I, I didn't expect it to be that. And I thought Arnold pulled it off and, uh, I was very, I was very happy. I walked out of the movie theater going, "Wow, that was a Terminator movie," and it ended with a, you know, a, you know, which these days, you know, movies don't unless you're like a horror movie, they don't like to, uh, you know, summer action movies don't like to end without a happy ending, and this certainly does not have a happy ending. No. You know, at all, no. and I thought it was. I was just like, "Wow!" I I was really, uh, I was really impressed with it. You know, uh, now it didn't. Ha- not that it didn't have its faults. You know. Yeah. No. 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 Here's. Well, here's I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Scott. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I was afraid that you know once again I would be the the contrarian and and I <laughs> I don't like playing that role as as often as I seem to find myself. It just happens. <laughs> But uh, no, I had pretty much the same reaction to it because I didn't even go to remember seeing the 
and that Arnold was attached to it. And this was at a time, at least for me personally, I felt like a self joke. He had a long string of shit movies and he, he just, every movie he made, he had the goofy one-liners and all that. And I mean, I don't hate the guy or anything. I don't have anything against him, but, but I just interest in this movie whatsoever. And I can't even remember where I first saw it. I, I know it was on, it was either on DVD or I remember but I, I watched it with supremely low expectations because by this time it had been out for a while. Every review I, I and I watched it and was pleasantly, I thought it was, was a pretty good movie. I mean, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's the best one of the series or anything, but it did some things that I really liked. And it it seemed to me like maybe it was trying a little bit to... I was going to say undo some of the damage from the second movie. And that's not really what I mean, but it, like it was trying to steer the franchise back on course, as far as getting back to the timeline and, and just trying to straighten a li- straighten out a few of the continuity problems that were created by the second movie. And I, I kind of like that, but uh, one of the things I didn't like though, is I thought there was, there was a lot more jokiness and some parts that were just downright cartoony with the third one like uh you know where the the lady terminator puts the nanites into like those proto terminators and then they just go through that office scene killing everybody i thought that was completely pointless i mean i understood what the director was going for but it just comes off it it just looks a little cartoony to me It, it didn't really pack the punch that a scene like that should where a machine is mercilessly mowing people down. Like in the first Terminator, when he walks through the police station killing people, it's brutal. But in this one, these machines are going through killing probably more people yeah. than in that police part in the first one. But because none of it packs more, any... They're more efficient now. No, but I mean, the way it's directed, though. You know, you don't yeah. see anybody take a really vicious hit. You don't see a lot of... I, I don't know. It just isn't directed efficiently for being brutal. You know it's, what I mean? It's more like here's a bunch of people being killed, and it doesn't have any real emotional connection. You don't oh, you don't feel they, the impacts they, or the deaths. The, the explanation was these guys just knew about Skynet and knew how to shut it down, and it was covering its own ass. Right. You know, and that's why they were doing it. You know, the the reason why the T1s, which is awesome, by the way, actually, this is one of the few things I liked about this movie, is the showing of the T1s. Not those scene itself, I, I you know, because honestly, anything before Judgment Day in this movie was just like, eh, to me. But I really love seeing the, the T1s and how they look like a really nice, shiny prototype of the HKs. Right. I mean, the, the ground HKs anyway. So, um... What I, I, I just I the, the the reason why I'm just explaining the reason why they were killing those people was they said but no it. I'm yeah. I'm not really talking about the, the the logic behind it I'm talking about the way the scene is directed like I'll give you a good example in the first movie when Arnold's mowing down the cops in the police station there's one part where there's a cop and he's a real small kind of skinny cop and he's hiding behind a desk. And Arnold starts to walk away, and the guy pops up, and he's screaming. He's going, ah! And, he's, and he holds his gun with two hands in front of him, and he's popping rounds into Arnold. And Arnold turns around and casually blows the guy away. And when he shoots him, 
the camera, you know, we as the viewer are behind the cop and we see the shot fired. We see the guy just like fly back and it's like, ooh, that had to hurt. Uh, Yet in this sequence where these machines are walking through this office building, just mowing people down, there's nothing like that. It's almost like watching a video game. Like, uh, you know what? It's like watching, uh, you know, like you ever see on the news where they'll show you like the, the surveillance cameras. It's like the secu- surveillance. That's what this looks like. It looks like okay. a surveillance cam, and there's no impact. There's no emotional connection to these people being mercilessly gunned down. You're just right. seeing machines, bodies, and a bunch of bullets flying, and well, you're not seeing you know people agonizingly die and you know. Not that I want to see a lot of brutality, but it's just there's a disconnect. It, it right, just, yeah. It's a scene rather than it's well, it's not like, James Cameron directing it. That's exactly. a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> well, not only that, you're more focused on what's going to happen to John and Kate at this point than eh, just some government people I mean, you know but I, I, can, I can understand where you're coming from um, what I really didn't like about this movie is the movie was advertised to me with certain commercials and I thought okay Judgment Day is going to happen around the middle of the movie or beginning of the movie or not beginning it we're already going to jump into ju- Judgment Day see second trailer okay maybe Judgment Day is going to happen earlier way early promo pictures you would say okay it's judgment day and i'm like yeah awesome you know we're gonna see the war we're gonna jump in because all you see is like like the all the trailers focused on like the endos and all that just taking everyone down it wasn't it was in the past no problem um john connor being a little bitch did not like it however uh someone did talk me into well the fact that the people you know maybe he needed that in order to be a badass you know, but it's like you would think if he was raised a certain way, he'd be more tougher, especially how he was in Terminator 2. Uh, last but not least, and, and it's tiny, but it just bothered me. Continuity, they messed up every bit of continuity. You know, the war was supposed to end in 2029. They extended it to 2030 with no logical reason of what they left behind. Like, obviously, in part one, what led to the creation of the T-1000 was that the endo hand and the chip was left behind. Right. At least in part two, if they alluded that, well, maybe the Terminator arm that was stuck on that machine is what led to it. No, it's just, oh, no, it's just kept going and Judgment Day is inevitable. And I guess that's fine to a certain degree. But then that kind of contradicts what two did, which contradicted, which Scott brought up a good point earlier that contradicted what one did, which was no fate but what you make. But, oh, by the way, Judgment Day is still here. Um, I didn't like the continuity errors because... They messed up John Connor's age and the date. They said that, the, according to the movie, Sarah Connor died in 97. So then if she died in 97 to see if Judgment Day happens, then that means that Terminator 2 took place in 1996 and John Connor was 13, when in fact the movie took place in 94 when John Connor was 10. You know? And he said, oh, I was 13 when they tried to kill me. And it's like, no, dude, you were 10. So I did not like that one bit. Um, Sarah Connor out of nowhere cancer I don't know I, I honestly didn't know how I felt about that but I, I kind of like the fact you know that how I a... felt about that they couldn't yeah. get Linda Hamilton to be yeah, in the movie I was, <laughs> I was just gonna say that yeah. yeah yeah perfect okay okay you know so I don't know a lot of things just bothered me I mean I was happy to see some of the mythologies I was happy to see some of that future scene like okay you know here's 
He's a Terminator in the future. And the one thing I liked about that movie, besides watching the T1s in action, is the idea that maybe a Terminator will go back since they can't find John Connor to take out his lieutenants. Like, I thought that was perfect. If the whole movie was about taking out his lieutenants and then leading up to Judgment Day, it would have been a better movie, in my opinion. I would have loved it even more if it had nothing to do with John Connor until, like, the last minute. And it's like, we're trying to take out the lieutenants because we can't find John Connor. That would have been an awesome movie in my eyes. Speaking um, of al- alternative targets, this is something I thought of a while ago. And I actually thought about this, strangely enough, right after I had seen Predator 2. And there was that great scene at the end of that movie where they were in the spaceship. And don't don't they end up giving, they give him like a, what is it, like a friggin' musket or something at the end of that movie as a reward right. for killing the, the Predator. And you get the sense that they've been coming to Earth for a long time doing this shit. And I got an idea that how cool would it be to have a Terminator go back even further or somehow maybe even miss its date, which actually was a plot, a great episode of uh, the Sarah, Sarah Connor. Connor. Yeah, I remember that one when they went where, to the 20s. Yeah, we're yeah, yeah. way back in time. But say either by accident or on purpose a Terminator winds up like, I don't know, like the 19th century and they've got to battle it back then with, with their technology. And I, something like that would, would be really be interesting to yeah. me because I think that this storyline of coming back and trying to kill either Sarah or John has pretty much played, played itself out. out at this point, yeah. you know? Yep. No, and I agree with you there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, finally, the one last thing I liked is they ex- they explained the one thing that the T-1000 was successful at, which was splitting him apart from Catherine Brewster, because even though Miles Dyson created Skynet, it was Catherine Brewster's father who turned it on. Now, that guy, I, I don't know that actor's name, and I really wish I did. He's one of the reasons I really like this movie. Oh, I yeah. like anything oh. that guy is in. Because he was, uh, he played Frank Borman in From the Earth to the Moon and just nailed the part. He was great in that. And uh, damn, I wish I knew what his name, you know, Looking the, the actor's right real name is. But uh, yeah, he was really, really good in that. I, I like the part that he played. But for me, I think the biggest his thing. His name is David was, Andrews. David Andrews. I'm going to have to remember that because I, I like him. I, oh, I he was him. also in Nightmare on Elm Street. Very cool. Sorry. Yeah, I just watched uh, an episode of uh, of uh, Enterprise the other day, and he was on that too. But uh, yeah, he's he's just one of those character actors. He's been in a lot of so he's been in a lot of like space and sci-fi related stuff, and uh, and I just I, th- I think he's a good actor. I, I enjoy watching him. But uh, for me, I, I really T three just comes down to one thing. I think it just has a hell of a lot of action in it. I mean, that part with the oh, with does. the truck with the with the big boom right and that whole chase sequence that that's got to be one of the coolest just pure fucking destruction sequences i've and, ever seen and, in a movie and in this day and age it was nice to see a good old-fashioned it's like the bike chase in the new indiana jones it was good to see something just done with stunts and right cars yeah. and explosions yeah yeah and uh i i just love i i 
rewatched this movie just a couple of days ago in preparation for this show because I'd only ever seen it the one time and I remembered liking it and that was about it. I couldn't really remember very much about it. So I purposely sat down and rewatched it. And, you know, there's good parts, there's bad parts, there's things that I really like, there's things that really put me off. But that scene, that entire sequence, I think is what puts me over the top on really enjoying this movie. Because there's, you know, there's other parts of the movie that are, you know, as much as I love that, that are really cringeworthy, but that sequence to me just makes the whole movie. I mean, that that's just a really, really awesome scene where that truck is just mowing through everything and taking out buildings and cars and trucks and telephone poles and, and everything. I yeah. just love it. It's great. I mean, I'm, I'm all about... Total disregard the, for the society that the Terminator has appeared in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. But that over-the-top destruction, because it lends into one of the feels I get watching this one that I didn't get from the second movie as much is the parts in this movie where the two Terminators fight, the Arnold Terminator and the, and the female the Terminator, you know, they are really like superhero battles. There's a lot of punching and people flying through walls and, you know, they'll get shoved and they'll fly a hundred feet through a wall or through a building or through a car. You know, there's a lot of big, heavy objects being picked up and smashed on the other person. It's a, and really so... This was one of the first movies I can think of that really was able to fully utilize computer effects in a superhero movie kind of way with those type of things. And so that other sequence with the truck, although it's just a truck and it's not a superhero or a a robot or something, it still feels very much like what I want to see from a big budget superhero movie is buildings being knocked down and you get that in this movie so I mean it it feeds that need for me of that big over the top comic book on the big screen action Right. and when you have the two Terminators fight it's more than a fist fight they really like they're really going all out to destroy each other with the you know right no, no, no. Terminator fights is grab each other by the shoulders, push to the wall, push to the wall, push to the wall. Look well, at each other like you're mean. <laughs> but that's what we got in the second movie, and it was cool for its time. I was I was making a joke. I was, oh, yeah. I was making fun of them. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's what we got in the second movie yeah, yeah. Is, is it was pretty much a stalemate between those two models. You know, they, they could smash each other into the walls a little bit, but that was about it. But in this one, you know, they're really doing some damage. I mean, I love the fight in the men's room, you know, where Arnold rips the friggin' urinal out of the wall and smashes it over her head. And it looks totally real. Oh yeah. They're smashing each other's heads into toilets and stuff, you know? Yeah. It was great. And this is with geriatric, geriatric, uh, Arnold too. I would love, love to see like (laughs) a Superman movie or, or really any superhero movie do that. And really, none of them have have touched this fight scene in in T three as far as a, a straight up superhero movie, and and I thought that it was really done Wait, very well. I, thought, I think I think the closest thing from what I've seen in terms of action like that. Like, wait, I could be wrong. I think it was just a uh, actual equal in terms of graphic. I, I was going to say Watchmen. I think I don't, I don't know. The, uh, the end two, of the Hulk seconds. could have been like that. The newer Hulk. 
the last. Yeah, but even that is a little more. It's a little more toned down. It's a little more stylized fight. You know, it, it looks it looks a little bit more like, you know, this is this is the Hulk fighting another Hulk. Okay. Rather than I'm talking in in the in these parts in this one, this is very much superhero style fighting, yet it's got the Terminator bite to it. It doesn't pull punches. I mean, when he flattens right. that bitch with that urinal, that shit hurts. I mean, it looks and it's accompanied very... by this twanging special effect of metal on right. On, uh... Well, what I was really getting at was that wire foo shit. You know, we, we don't really see any of that. We don't see any, like, the cartoony CGI, the car... Like the Spider-Man movies, they are, and I really like the fight scenes and stuff. A lot of that looks CGI and still looks fake, no matter how advanced the technology gets. But I don't think the fight scenes in, in T3 look fake. I think they look pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think, think they look very rough and tumble. Yeah. I think also since she's, um like... Over over her over her skin, she's liquid metal. If she looks fake, it's okay because she's already like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like the whole necky twisty thing. If it's like a little plasticky, a little CGI, it's like that's you can get away with that because she's already supposed to be like that in that world. Yeah, that's the nature of her Terminatorness. Are we going into the fourth movie? You want to do that? I don't mind going into the fourth with a TV show. Well. I have a shocking revelation to make if we're going into the fourth movie, which what? is... I haven't seen it. I took a bullet for the team. I uh, I sat down this afternoon and I watched Terminator Salvation. <laughs> Although I said I would never do it, I did it. I sat down and I, I watched so, it. You know what, bro? I, I got I got to know your opinion on this, man. I would have well, thought it would have been years down the line to tell you the God's honest truth. Well, let me just preface this by saying, now, I never again want to hear anybody say anything about, you know, my, my lack of dedication or I don't love the listeners or all that because I, I did this for the listeners. I, I took a bullet for the team. I sat down to watch. In short, just real quick, um, I expected to absolutely fucking hate this movie, and I didn't. So yes, really pleasantly surprised. Awesome. However, however, I got a ton of problems with it. I did enjoy it. I really did. I have a ton of problems with it. It was better for me about halfway through to just go, okay, I, I get it. This is one of those turn your fucking brain off movies because if you try to follow any sort of train of logic, it's all just going to unravel. And I hate Christian Bale still and he <laughs> sucked so bad in this movie why do you I, hate I, him he's a good John Connor sucks ass but okay. <laughs> the cool thing about this was that he's not the main character that yeah. was the best thing because if, if if he had had to carry the movie I would have I really would have hated it because every scene he's in I'm like oh my god I hate this guy but since so much of it was really about Marcus, and I actually liked that character and liked yes. the actor playing him, it, it won me over yeah. with that. And the action scenes were were unreal because uh, I'll tell you, here's here's a weird thing. I think right out of the gate, what won me over with the movie, where I was kind of still on the fence, going, I don't think I'm going to like this, was at the very beginning the helicopter accident, where the helicopter actually flips and crashes. Now, I have been 
through a rollover accident. It was in a car. It wasn't in a helicopter, but it was in a um, one of those four by four trucks. And I rolled down an embankment and rolled like eight or nine times. And that's exactly what that experience is like. It happens very fast. It's a lot of flippy. You don't know where the hell the yeah. horizon is at. And the next thing you know, boom, it's all over. And that sequence perfectly captured that experience of disorientation, not knowing which end was up, and then all of a sudden, slam, you know, it's it's done. It, you know, am I hurt? Am I alive? You know, because he, he got he had that moment where he gets out and he's stunned and ended and he's checking himself in. That was so realistic. It really won me over in that moment, you know, from from just by having experienced something so close to that. They they really captured that experience well on film I, I was very impressed with that uh i loved this movie <laughs> i thought it was, um certain was john connor but i think he did a better job than uh than uh what's his face uh nick stall my reason for liking this because you just saw it today and i don't know if uh, chris will agree with me here if you watch terminator one and watch this back to back every in the movie happened kyle said I was taken to jail and John Connor busted me out. Something that, and it happened in matter that, you know, concentration camp. He was talking about the concentration camps. We got to see that. He was talking about the, the T-600s and we got to see the T-600 rubber skin. Now they weren't into much action as I was expecting them to, but it was still awesome enough. Um, we got to see Skynet, which is something I was waiting for. One thing that I liked, it was very subtle. We finally, they didn't go into the details of how old John was. The only thing that we knew time-wise was it's 2018, 10 years before, and for some odd reason, we're seeing the T-800s a lot earlier than we're supposed to. Why? We don't know. I, I thought that was fantastic. Again, I'm, I'm more of a mythology-type character, uh, a mythology-type fan in terms of the Terminator movies, which is why they didn't like three, because I, I feel like they messed up the mythology, but this one kind of redeemed it. I don't know if you guys agree with that specific part. Um, we got to see different Terminators that were awesome. The modal Terminators, the Harvesters, the Super HKs, which was like a big HKs with like three HKs stuck to it. That was pretty cool, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, overall, I just really enjoyed that. We got to see one thing I've been dying to see for a long time, and that was John Connor's Scar. Did you guys? Did you like how that happened, uh, Scott? The yeah, I did. Yeah. I thought that that was very cool. I, I thought, thought that, that was, was one of the clever. best parts of the movie. Yeah, we got to see that, and then last but not least, at the end, we got to see how ruthless the T eight hundred can be again. It was awesome, and and that's why I love the movie. And then going into uh, what's his name? Um, the, which I'm sorry, which the, character? The main guy. The main guy. Not Marcus. John, Marcus. Uh-huh. Marcus right. I love the fact that how they explain how he was the ultimate infiltrator, how it was he's a human and he didn't know it. He didn't know what he did. He signed a, an agreement with Cyberdyne, but you don't know what happened. You don't know what he did. And he was the first, quote unquote, human Terminator, which is what he was because they still had the brain and the heart, you know. So he was more like a prototype Terminator without being a prototype Terminator. And the one scene they explain how Skynet knows about John Connor I mean they explain how Skynet knows about Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor when John Connor was talking to that Terminator he told them you're so dumb you know we've been at war for so long you know you killed my father Kyle Reese bam that sent a signal to Skynet okay now we know who his father is 
you killed my mother, Sarah Connor. Bam, now we know who we get. So it, 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 it kind of closed the circle for me with some questions I was waiting for. And that's, that's the reason why I love Salvation. And Rand. Sorry. Now? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to preface my critique with saying that I don't hate, I don't hate the movie at all. But my my problems with it are just huge. I remember watching it, and it's like Scott. I had that moment where it's like, okay, as far as the, the script goes or whatever, I'm gonna have to turn my brain off to a certain point and enjoy this as an action movie. But you know, I, I think the director, a, I I'll say this right up off the top. I was prejudiced with anybody who calls themselves like Mick G that has some sort of weird, you know, I don't know. He did, he, 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 he's one of the main producers of one of my favorite TV shows, Supernatural. And I guess that's why I had high hopes for it too. And, you know, well, yeah. his, he had the feel to me of a director who's very visually, stylistically good, but really doesn't know how to do much beyond that. And this really sort of like backed that up for me. Like, and just, which okay, I, I and I turned my brain off for and said okay, bring on the action sequences, and the you know the major set piece, you know total action sequence, you know the sequence with especially that comes to mind, off the top of my head, the sequence with the tow truck. Um, you know was very you know it was an exciting action sequence you know it was very well done very visually well done although there were too many you know there were too many lines of dialogue where someone yelled hold on or you know or something like that you know there was i think hold on was yelled like 50 or 60 times just as the default we need to put a line of dialogue in here but the, but those action set pieces i thought were very were really cool and took good advantage of of the the CG and the giant Terminator feel of it but I thought just overall the movie didn't have the feel of all the other movies it, it was like somebody else's interpretation of it and another thing that just sort of amused me was that whole thing with the Christian Bale rant that came out you know of him yeah. having his freak out on the set and then you see this movie and you're like Really, this guy is like, you know, so concerned about his performance, and he just does a total one-note performance through the whole movie. He's just the gruff, you know. He's basically just doing a sort of tossed-off Batman. You know, you could tell he wasn't really, he wasn't the heart and soul of the movie anyway. He was not the main character. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, crazy. I love, I love the idea, and I hope that if they continue this. To have Kyle as the main character, because in my eyes, and I and I know you guys will agree with me on this, the the most important character in this franchise is not John Connor; it's Kyle Reese. On that note, though, why in the hell were the Terminators after Kyle in this movie? It, it was heavily implied, at least I thought so, that they understood his historical significance and his connection to John Connor. Is that right? I think it was more that uh, Skynet has done so much time travel that it's come to a point where it's kind of aware of certain stuff, you know? So it was more, it, it had an idea about Kyle, 
but right. it wasn't confirmed until John told him. That that was the that was the point I was trying to make earlier, is that it had an idea, but nothing was confirmed about Sarah Connor or Kyle Reese until John told Marcus, "You killed my mother, uh, Sarah Connor, and you killed my father, Kyle Reese." And it's like, wait a minute, we have a Kyle Reese in the concentration camp. Yoink. Does he say? Does oh, he does say that. He does That's say right. it. Yeah. He does say it specifically. Yeah. Okay. So it's all John Connor's fault for, you know, having a big mouth. Yeah, for blowing um, off at the lips, yeah. Yeah. Now, that kid that played Kyle, is that the same kid that played Chekhov? Chekhov in Star Trek. Okay. I yes. thought so. Okay, yes. I yes. thought he looked familiar. You know, all right. did you... And he's really for... good in this, actually. He's the yeah, best he performance yeah. in the whole movie. There, there are little snippets of this that I like that were from T2. Um, for example, Marcus teaches Kyle, if you've noticed, when they're on the observatory... How to tie the shotgun to the string and remember in Terminator 1 that Kyle, when he stole the clothes and he got the shotgun, he put a shotgun on his arm in Terminator 1 and he tied it with a string. Did you guys remember that in the first Terminator movie? No, I forgot all about that. In Terminator 1, uh, when he takes the clothes off the bum and he's doing his thing, he takes a shotgun and he ties it to his arm to a piece of string. In this movie, they ex- uh, they show that Marcus taught him that trick. That's right. That's right. You're did right. That. Yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah, I after he that. saws the, the butt off the thing. I forgot about that. Yeah, they right. show how that... So that was a cool little Easter egg there. Another part that I like, but it's cool. It was also in Double Ashes. It's set up where... In Terminator 2, John Connor was listening to Guns N' Roses. Uh, it was listening to... Good Line, the music video had the Terminator. Um, in this movie, when he was setting up to... After this big speech on why, you know... They should hold an attack on Skynet. He plays that song to lure the modal Terminator, the same Guns N' Roses song he was listening to in Terminator 2 when he was fixing his bike. <laughs> it's the same one. And then they showed little things from 2 that I love. Like, he's good with computers. He's good with hacking. Like, the little yeah, to yeah, hack. I, did, I that. like that. It was great. Well, um, yeah. You see, that, co- that comes to one of my big points is... There was a lot of stuff that sort of was drawn from the TV show, but I wish they would have drawn a lot more from the story and the TV show and some of the stuff that was going on there in this movie. And I sort of was hoping the TV show, I sort of seemed like the TV show was was working up to this movie and it might, you know, it might not drive what was in the movie, but there might be some things from the TV show thrown in the movie for people who've been watching the TV show. I thought about that while I was watching it, and I'll tell you honestly, I'm just glad that, you know, I yes, I'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't throw the, the TV show any bones in the movie, but at the same rate, I'm really glad that they didn't contradict anything that was going on in the TV show. Mm-hmm. That would have pissed me off. So at yeah. least yeah. they they stayed clear of it as far as not fucking it up, right. you know, not, not doing something that would blatantly disregard the the tv show or anything which in a strange sort of way i guess is a little bit uh of a a hypocrisy because the tv show does that to the movie franchise because it pretty much bypasses (laughs) the uh the third movie entirely no well that's what i love about the tv show is that it's two different timelines uh the way that they do it is uh it's two different continuities you have um, kind of like some of the Halloween movies, if you think about it, you have Terminator 1, 2, 3, Salvation, or you can go 1, 2, Salvation like I do, or you can do 1, 2, Sarah Connor Chronicles. 
Right. Which at this point, to be honest, I prefer one two Saracana Chronicles. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, one quick thing about Salvation that I also wanted. To, I, I guess I'm kind of uh lagging on it. Um. Is did you guys see the director's cut? Oh, I don't know which version I, I saw. Did you, the did you see the Blu-ray, Scott? No. Okay. In the speech, you know when he's talking about it's just this one thing that I wish they left in the theatrical version. There's little things like Moon Blood Goods titties, which is nice. Um <laughs> there's a top listing where she's changing anyway. Oh, okay. Um, I, evidently I did not see the uh, I missed the director's that, yeah. cut. Yeah, well, they have little things like when he's sneaking in in the beginning. It was in the, a, a bunch of scenes that were in the commercials and the TV spots made it to the director's cut. Like when he's sneaking in the water and an HK comes from behind them. I don't know where when when they when they find the T800s basically. Um, See, that, I was waiting for that because I remember seeing that in the original trailers. Yeah, well, that was the, the, the movie. I remember seeing the thing popping up out of the. Right. Was it the sand or water, something like? The water. Yeah, the water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was in the. Uh, yeah. It was, it was. It's in the director's cut. But there's this one specific scene that I love, and it's during the speech where he's saying, you know, if we're if we behave like them, then what's the point of winning? There's a few lines where he goes, "I once knew a woman," and I'm quoting directly from him. He goes, "I once knew a woman named Sarah Connor, and she tried to warn us about the future, but society locked her away." And because society didn't listen to her, we are now living in this time. So I'm asking you, do this for me and do this for my mother. Because, you know, it, it was beautiful. I'm like, why didn't they put that in the movie? That was great. Just that one little part. I just loved it. You know, I wish I could find <laughs> it on YouTube to show people because I would tell people. And it's like, well, you're going to have to come over and watch the Blu-ray at my house. You know, I can show you then. But it was so awesome. Anyway, that, now, that was, yeah. A couple things here, just to be the, the, the nitpicker, as much as I really did enjoy the movie, there were a couple things that, you know, for one thing, the movie had a lot of, a lot of plot holes, I thought, but uh, these, these are some more smaller nitpicks, I think. Why, especially like in the L.A. scenes, why were things still all burning and on fire? I mean, I had the feeling that Judgment Day had happened a while ago. Uh, looters to keep warm. Uh, the reason why I know that specifically is because it was in the novel. It was in the novelization, which was by Alan Dean Foster. Oh, was it really? Yeah. yeah. It was. It was looters keeping warm because there was a lot of um. There was a lot of uh in, in the books specifically also more in From the Ashes, which takes place about a year before or something like that, or a few months uh. before. Um, there's a lot of there's this subplot which I think is awesome that. Even though you have the resistance, you have these gang members, which you shortly saw them when they went to that garage place. Right. They want nothing to do with the resistance or the machines. They just want to live and hide. And they would fight. They will fight with the resistance themselves because they're fighting for food and they're just trying to keep warm and all that stuff. So that's, that's that. It just seemed like everywhere that they went, there were like burning cars and, you know, all these things. Well, that's and it was the visual style. The visual style was sort of, to me, was trumping the plot in a lot of right. those places. Yeah, trumping logic. You mean? Yeah. In yeah. The whole movie. That, that's kind of what I had thought too. Now, yeah. Well, that that might go into my next question, which was, now you know, going strictly off the first movie in in like the little flashback sequences we get with Kyle and stuff. I had the feeling that humanity was was on its last legs, that the best that they could manage was was stolen guns, you know, like the plasma rifles they had, 
and you know those beat up road yeah, yeah. looking cars that they had yet in this movie they've got jet fighters they've got you know helicopters where the hell are they getting this stuff if the world also, is a bombed out shell also, where are they getting all this equipment from also from the novelization they stole them they they stole them from skynet and that's, that's why that's a hell of a lot of stuff to steal. yeah no, what happened was in the novelization, uh, like like I said, I'm, I, I read all these things. In the novelization and the prequel from the Ashes, they found the base. And they literally found an intact military base, which is where they are right now. And they made that their base. They took out all the Terminators that were there and they were sealing their own weapons to do that. See, I think that was an important point that should have at least been... I agree. There, there were some yeah, IDW so- comics that led up to this. Yeah, that came out I'd... that were pretty good that sort of set up a lot of the story too that helped a little bit when you came into the movie of what was going on shaded in right. a few but of the characters like, but at least like with, with IDW's prequel series they did for the Star Trek movie they sort of half ass recapped it in the movie to kind of bring you up to speed even if you hadn't read it and I don't know, maybe it was just me. Maybe other people didn't stop to think, hey, wait a minute, where are they getting these planes? But the very first scene with the planes and the helicopters, that was the first thing I thought is, no, wait a minute. Yeah, no, where, where are they getting all this equipment if the, you know, if this is a post-nuclear world, all that shit should be destroyed, right? Exactly. No, right. You, you have a good point. It's funny because when people ask me that, I'm like, don't you remember? And then they go, oh, wait a minute, I read the book. Duh. <laughs> so. Well, you see, I think that's, that's, that's one of my problems with it, which is just a problem with modern style filmmaking is that they assume that the audience isn't interested in those sort of details they just want to get to the blowing things up and god damn it i'm interested and that's the stuff that you know when you make a world and you make that world real that's when you get people who want to be in it whether it's a good world or a bad world if you go to that movie and it takes you to that world and when you explain things about it and make it make sense it it helps, you know. In this movie, I was in the world, but I was sort of detached. I was watching it as, like, this is a visually nice but shallow action movie, you know. You and, know, and, and, I... And the, and the heart transplant at the end, spoiler, yeah. was just, I was just like, really? A field heart transplant, huh? That's pretty yeah. damn good. You know, I, I will admit my nitpicks with this movie, I kind of wish I saw more civilians living in these shitty lives like were depicted in the pre in the in the um flashbacks i wish yeah. i saw that and i wish i saw them breaking into skynet and stealing their weapons and knowing how you know like you guys said but i was more waiting for civilian life more like how are these people living because you know you saw them in the flashbacks and you felt so bad and these people were doing so bad and you look at these guys and it's like they don't have it so bad you know, like at least the military people. I mean, maybe the military people seem to have it the best of humanity. They're, yeah, they, they've got exactly. they've got the best you know chance for survival because they've got the weapons and the hidey hole. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem as bleak somehow as is the first movie. You know, those those flashback sequences that we were getting. It doesn't even seem as bleak as the flashbacks in the TV show or the flash forwards or whatever you want to call them. You know. Yeah, depending on whose point of view they're you're looking at them from, you know. But yeah. uh, this I've got to know. What was your feeling? Because I, I tell you, this was almost. Thank God, 
that this happened at a good part of the movie where there was a lot of action and it was somewhat redeemed, but I'm wondering what your reaction to the giant Terminator with the motorcycle shin bones, because I thought that, oh, that was I thought, completely I thought, stupid. I thought you were going to go to the uh, Arnold CGI face. Um, the, the, the giant, the, the harvester with the, term, with the moto Terminators, I didn't have a problem with it. Because Kyle, I mean, at least in my eyes, Kyle said, well, you know, they wrangled up, the Terminators wrangled up people. And it kind of made sense for them to have like a giant Transformer thing. Never mind. (laughs) That's immediately what I thought of was, whoa, all of a sudden I'm in Transformers 2, you know? Right. No, but I I, kind of dug that. I mean, they always had robots and I I like the idea of this thing, you know, putting... um, putting the people inside like cages to take them. I, I, I thought that sequence was one of the f- sequences that actually really worked for me. It was an exciting chase. Even I, I thought, okay, the, the motorcycles coming off were a little ludicrous, but I was by that point, I was going to go along with it, you know? And when I right. did go along <laughs> with it, it was fun. And I liked how they... I like how they worked and I like how they would, you know, they were like a computerized motorcycle. They anticipated things that could really, you know, they were, and they had a little light cycle element to them too, you know. And I thought the sound design in that whole sequence was very well done too. You know, that you could hear their engines revving up and it was very it actually a lot of those parts reminded me of Road Warrior um, chases. And I, I enjoyed that. It had a little bit of that Road Warrior feel to it. But, um, yeah, otherwise I was, it was just sort of like style over, for, over substance for me. And I, I remember watching, and by the time we got to the term, the Arnold face on the Terminator, I just didn't, it didn't, it wasn't like a big moment, you know, the big moment that it was supposed to be in the movie. I was like, okay, I really, you know, I really didn't need to see Arnold in this movie at all. You know, I, I by this point, you know, the whole Terminator TV show had played out, and I was fine without. I would have liked to have seen um, what's her name, Summer Glau, and I would have liked to see the guy who played the Terminator that they hooked up to to the early Skynet, who was developing oh, his yeah. childlike personality. I wouldn't have mind seeing them. Oh, John John Henry. Yeah, John Henry. I wouldn't have mind seeing them pop up. In a, a good or evil context, or as their or as their human counterparts, or or something, or you know, in there, I thought that would have been cool. I really, I really didn't need to see Arnold in this movie. I didn't need to have, I didn't need to be like, okay, it's a Terminator movie. Arnold has to be in it somehow. It really that didn't matter to me. So when it happened, it wasn't like, it wasn't bad or really cheesy but it wasn't also a big moment in the movie for me you know it wasn't anything i was looking but as a matter of fact i was sort of like oh that's right that's right that arnold is in this movie too sort of i thought it was kind of cool it, it was, was a, cool. it was a nice little moment and all but what the thing i really thought was the best about it was that cgi arnold is actually a much better actor than real life <laughs> i got a, a kick out of that for one thing, he didn't spout any stupid lines. He has a real like, future uh, in CGI. Oh, yeah. some steam in it. You know, some some idiotic lines. So I, I, I like. Yeah, he's got a real future. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, as a CGI <laughs> character, he might be. He might be the first. Like when when he's done with politics, maybe he can be the first guy who'll just he'll take 
you know, one month and he'll go in the studio and let them capture his voice reading all sorts of things. And, you know, because they just did that for Roger Ebert. They, they took all his vocals from his TV shows and made a computer program that he can speak through now. Even, even though he's missing, yeah. you know, he can't talk, he can't eat, he'll never eat or drink again in his life. It's really here's, sad. Here's what? my... Yeah, Roger Ebert had uh, jock, or he had thyroid cancer, and they took most of his jaw. It, he was just on Oprah. He looks like a little old lady that he's had reconstructive surgery. He can't talk. He's not long for this world, but he's, like, very... He was talking through a Stephen Hawking sort of thing, but somebody, some kind soul nerd somewhere rigged up a computer program that simulates his voice so he can type stuff in and have it speak in Roger Ebert what voice. Is, oh, it sounds like his voice? I haven't heard it yet. I haven't like looked at anything about it. He was on Oprah the other day, and I guess he was supposed to use it on there, so I haven't seen it yet, but I guess... Now, here's it, the thing I don't understand about these guys like Stephen Hawking and whoever that have these robot voices now, or even like these smokers that lose their, their voice yeah. box and they got to talk in the little... Like that you know, one dude from the smoking commercial? Nothing yeah. will ever be the same again. Yes. I mean, this it. is the 21st century, and we have some amazing technology. Can, and they even have these things that they sell at Walmart for kids. If if that ever happens to me, God forbid, and I got to get something like that, dude, I totally want James Earl Jones' Darth Vader voice. I'm go- You know, it's funny. We're both picking black men because I'm picking Barry White, man. <laughs> Hi there, ladies. <laughs> I know my lips aren't moving and it's kind of creepy, but bear with me for a minute, you know. I want I want Terran Stamps Jorel voice. Oh, that would be pretty Smallville. cool. Smallville, yeah. awesome. Love, I love his voice in Smallville. Um, uh, just segueing back into the thing. Uh, you know what's the cool thing about the one T eight hundred thing? Is that that was the first factory making them. So even though it got destroyed, now they have to start from scratch. And so it was two thousand eighteen. They got now till 2029 to make them again. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm a big, like I said, I'm in terms of Terminator, I'm just a big mythology fan. So you have definitely put a lot of thought into this, much I'm, more than I have. I I'm, think. Yeah, I'm probably I, going to watch Terminator 4 again after we we're done. Not tonight, but you know, in the near future, keep, I'm probably going to watch it again and keep in mind some of the stuff you guys were talking about. Yeah. And, well, here, Just, here's a couple more quick points so we can get wrapped up here. But, yeah. okay, this movie does something that drives me batshit crazy. Ooh. Every time I see it, like in comic books or superhero movies or, or anything that ever does something like this, cops and robbers movies, whatever. Okay. They capture Reese. And in one point, they even have John Connor. Fucking kill them already. That's yes, thank you. in thank the movie you. through through all four through this no entire ceremony franchise. about it. Yeah, no yeah. diddly squatting about I, it. I hate just... it. Yeah, I hated how you have the the T the T the T six hundred has Kyle right there. Right. And yet he's looking around. It's like all right, not for nothing That's as not much very as I'm Terminator movie like. How can yeah, well, why they lock him up too. They lock him up in that little room that looks like the the sick bay and aliens. It's like why why did they do that? You know, they identified him with the scanner thing, and that big claw came down and picked him up. Why didn't it just squish him? You know. <laughs> well, well, maybe it needed something. I think also it was lure. Well, no, Skynet said it. 
Now that it had Kyle, it was using him as bait to lure John Connor. She said it. She's I guess. Telling it. Yeah, yeah I, but at I, the I same point, it. if they squish Kyle, there should be no John Connor. So that at that at that point, you know, why not squish Kyle anyway and just say that you have him maybe make a Terminator at Kyle? You know, That's the, true, the right? thing is, there's so much, there's so much they could have explored in this about the like, you know, the you know bridging the gap between, and they hinted at it in the TV show that there was. And it was sort of like Battlestar Galactica where it was like, all right, these two things are at war, but at some point maybe they even find peace or they bridge a gap or there's some – and John Connor might be the person who bridges that gap between the – and it's hinted at and stuff and it could have been played a lot heavier in this movie and the whole um, what is it to be human and to be good or bad could have been played – you know, they could have – they had – all the potential for these really strong themes are in Philip K. Dick like things and it and yeah. they never really, you know, appeared at all that you know, they never really developed and I would have liked more of that, you know. Call me yeah. call me well, a I mean bastard. they do the same thing with Connor. Where he actually fights the Terminator down there in the you know it looks like a boiler room. Oh, but something. that was an awesome battle, bro! It was awesome. Yeah, it, it was, was great. Really cool. yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed that. However, you know, we had just seen that one Terminator. You know, it like kidney punches his heart off. Who it's supposed to be? Its primary mission is to kill him. It just like bitch slaps him around and knocks him all over the place. I mean, <laughs> so why didn't true. it just like punch its its fist through his chest or something? That's you know? so true. That's so true. It's so you know, and, and that's and break his neck. And and in Terminator movies, that's the thing. In Terminator movies, I expect none of the character uh, the the only characters who fuck around in Terminator movies are usually dead characters very quickly. So right. everybody, you know, all the Terminators and all the people the Terminators are after uh, have got to be on their A-game and everything. So, it, you know, a Terminator is not going to pussyfoot around and slap someone around and toy with them like a cat with a mouse. They're going to they're just going to kill them and get the, and complete their programming. You know, that's right. their programming, pure and simple. And uh which was something that happened a lot more in the TV show too. There was a lot of that, just sort of like, boom, something would happen with, yeah, it, because the Terminators would just do it. They had to do it, right. and when the, ch- the when the they TV, got their chance, the, they'd do it. The, the TV the TV series had more complex stuff because they went more into future, like more into the future. Just you know, for the sake of the show, I. Just like to say, I think that TV show is a re- was a really strong contribution to the whole Terminator, you know, franchise. I really it, liked it. It was, it and, was, it was just a damn fine. I thought it was a damn fine science fiction program. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that, that's there's such a rarity. Far between, yeah. yeah. And um, and it helped from the very beginning. It helped, It was one of those things that I was very skeptical about. And but the great thing is TV's free, and TV sometimes I don't watch TV much. But just that day, TV happened to be on in my house when the first episode of it came on, and I said, "Hey, I'll watch this. Why? Why not watch something new, Terminator? If it's good, then I'm really right. happy." And by the end of it, I was really happy. Yeah, it so, it won me over quickly just because you know the the pilot. I thought the pilot was really good. 
But the thing that made me nervous about it is I was like, you know what? If a new Terminator comes back every week to menace him, I'm going to just tune the hell out. <laughs> so and thankfully, they didn't do that, you know, and, and they, they went made the continuing storyline. Right. And that was the perfect way to do I, it rather than the I, ter- new yeah. Terminator threat of the week. Oh, yeah. No, it was it was fantastic. But I'm not going to go into detail. I'm going to wait. Yes. <laughs> going to wait. But it was awesome. Well, okay. Well, I guess that, I guess we're wrapping it up then, with the promise of more in the future. Cool. And uh, I I thought we had a great great discussion here. I'm sure this is going to generate some. I don't know if it'll generate controversy, but it'll definitely generate conversation. I don't I don't think it'll generate controversy because we were all at different ends. We both said what we liked and didn't like. Yeah. In right. Different, and, and like things that we liked. Uh, like things that I liked, you know, Scott didn't like things that you liked. I didn't like, you know, so it was more like an even discussion in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Fair and balanced, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you have to say that? <laughs> Cause I'm a bastard on that note. You know, this is, uh, um, I don't know where this has fallen, but we're falling towards the end of the, the month with two true freaks. So, you know, be with us next month and we'll be back to Star Wars and Star Trek one thing to look forward to next month is our big Empire Strikes Back episode yes everybody loves their Empire Strikes Back and we're gonna we're gonna love all over that so that'll be fun and uh, I'm gonna go out and watch me Terminator 4 again and (laughs) see how I feels about that but it was great having you on Oh, thanks, man. Well, no, seriously, thank you for having me on. I, I had a blast, and uh, I hope uh, my Terminator fanboyness uh, helped uh, contribute to this conversation. So now, now, <laughs> now, your podcast is it Comics Tube or Comic Tube? Comic Tube with Comic ones. Tube. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't have a website yet because I'm just so lazy to work on it. But um, you can find Comic Tube on the Comic Forums along with you guys here uh, at, at, at thecomicforums.com. Um, we're on the Comic Tube, or you can check us out on, on iTunes. Um, and I uh, urge basically, everybody to do that. Yeah. Um, if anyone, in, in general, just a little quick thing about uh, I said this on your 100, but I, I guess I'll say it again. My podcast is pretty much uh, me and, and my friend Brad, which is pretty much like the really younger versions of uh, Chris and Scott here. What we do is we go over movies based on comics specifically. Um, we'll do some sci-fi movies here and there, but we usually just do movies or TV shows based on sci-fi or some video games here and there. Um, and just to throw this out there, if you guys like the uh, Terminator discussion I had with these dudes, um, me and Brad did like a five-part Terminator thing where we reviewed, Holy cow. Each, we reviewed each movie as a separate episode. So we did like Terminator 1, 2, 3, then the TV show and then salvation and then we did one episode me and him broke down all the terminator models so yeah it's, that's how much of a fan i am i forced <laughs> and you'll probably have more terminator episodes in the future i'm sure actually surprisingly yeah i want to review some of the video uh-huh. games i have on my own so yeah but then not only that i mean we're, we just do a lot of uh like during season premieres like smallville or heroes and stuff we review the season premiere and finales you know, a few animated movies came out like Halo and stuff. We're just going to review those, things like that. So, yeah. Excellent. Everybody get right on that. All of you. Now, 
now. Yeah, but uh, seriously, thanks again for having. I had, I had a total blast with you guys. I'm surprised I stayed up this long, but I'm, I'm seriously, it was really fun, man. You guys are awesome. We love making people. We 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 love it when our guests are at work the next day because they're thinking about us as they're trying to pry their eyes open and <laughs> get their coffee in them. No, no, seriously, I had a total blast. You, you dudes are awesome. Thanks, man, and I'm sure we'll hear from you in the future. I'm I'm sure I'm gonna get to get together with you, and we're gonna talk some horror movies. Oh yeah, definitely. I will be down for that, bro. I like me the horror yeah. movies. Yeah, it's got there. I'm here. Oh, be quiet, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he just sort of fades out. We call it the fuzzies. But. <laughs> Visit our website at two true freaks.libson.com. Two true freaks.libson.com is spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot Libson, which is L I B S Y N dot com. You can email two true freaks directly at two true freaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S C O T T. G-A-R-D-N-E-R Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Core of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. You're a terminated fucker.